0: Get down in the secret balls. Prepare for the battle. Choose a
1: side in a clone balls. Welcome to Brattle World. I am your host, the ever-amazing, ever-spectacular Spider-Dan. And in this podcast, I spotlight entertainment's best kept secrets that a mainstream audience may find boring. And welcome to Cologne Bores, where two similar pieces of media clash to be crowned champion. Two go in, and only one comes out. And it is a very, very special episode. We are seeing, as Mike Burton says, the return of the King. After a long hiatus and a much-needed hiatus from podcasting, he is back. My biggest fan, it's Jack. I am Jack's musings returns, for everyone. To be heard, to be seen, to be loved, to be who he is. This is his destiny as a podcaster.
2: Welcome back, Jack. Thank you, sir. All I can see now is Army of Darkness, you know, hell to the king, baby.
1: Yes, um, absolutely. I love I'm not, it. I,
2: I'm not sure I've quite got the charisma of Ash, but I will, we'll go with it. Yeah, it's great to be back. And thank you for making space in your schedule to, to get, get me back in the groove and finding some wonderful films for me to watch. So, yeah, it's going to be a good time.
1: Absolutely. So this is kind of a warm-up. Like mm. so start, don't start demanding where's my back to the filmography? <laughs> where's my staith? I want my stafe back. Just just bear with him. It's you know, it's gonna be a, a slow build, but you're gonna get some excellent, excellent content from Jack yet again. But you must be patient. Good things come to those who wait. And sure, sure. good things are what we're gonna talk about mm. tonight. So we're gonna talk about two very good films from two very good directors. I mean, you've heard of the directors. We're talking mm-hmm. John Landis of American Werewolf in London, um Animal House and Loose Brothers. Yeah, Loose Brothers, yeah. Um you name it. Um Amazon Women on the Moon. Um <laughs> to to quite one of his uh to list one of his more obscure ones. Um and we are talking about the king himself, Martin Scorsese of King of Comedy, Taxi Driver, and among many others. We're going to be talking about two of their hidden gems that came out the same year and kind of have a similar topic. Jack, had you seen either of these films before? So we're talking Into the Night and After Hours.
2: I had not, which is the beauty of your show, that it brings these things to light, which probably I should have heard of or should have seen or, in this case, should even have known existed. And didn't i guess they're kind of been swept under the rug a little bit both these movies and you know we don't want to get into too spoilery already no it's no no. hard having now watched them it's hard to understand why one i enjoyed and one i really enjoyed so not even thinking about the categories because they're in the back of my mind and i know we're going to get there i thought they were both excellent movies for what they were trying to do one i think really stood out as being just an excellent piece of movie making i cannot understand how it's so unknown. I would say they're probably
1: quite hard to market in some respects. Sure. And I think the trailers and and kind of the ideas are kind of a bit amorphous. It's hard to kind mm. of go, what is this about? What, what is this trying to say? What do we want the audience to get from it? And it's I don't. We'll we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Mm. But
2: it's I'm yeah, loving the, amorphous. By the way, amorphous.
1: hello. I don't know where these. I don't know where these <laughs> words I pull out of my ass come from. These really interesting words. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a, a very hard to mm. kind of pin down, nail down a lot of the aspects and and what we're going to talk about. But I think that's kind of almost like this dreamlike mm. Wizard of Oz. Mm.
2: I um. I mean, know, Lynch does it in every movie, so I don't uh, know. You know. pretty much. Yeah. That's
1: all he does. That's all he does. It's going to be weird. It's going to be so weird. Um, But yeah, we'll we'll get into it. But I, I have to agree. I, I recommend both of these films. Mm. I think they're both excellent if you can get hold of them. um, 101 Films uh, did a DVD Blu-ray release recently of Into the Night. And I know for a fact that the US are getting a new, I think it's a Criterion release of After Hours. Oh, nice. So that means we'll get uh, some label DVD, Blu-ray label will release over here as well. Um, probably somewhere, somewhere like uh, Eureka or someone like that. I don't, I'm, I can't remember all the labels off the top of my head. Um, but there will undoubtedly be a, a release, a Blu-ray or 4K release over here. So this is the time to get your hands on it. Mm. So presumably you hadn't seen them either then. I had not, no. But I, I, I they were recommended to me by everyone's favourite film geek and you're mm. right mm. because during uh, lockdown he was on twitter and he was suggesting perfect double bills uh, and he described these two films and I was like what are these what are mm-hmm. you on about why are all these famous people in it and these famous directors behind it but why have I never heard of them so uh, we'll get into that before we get into talking about either film as you know jack We have to, at every beginning of all the Clone balls, unless I forget, unless I get chatting, (laughs) uh, which happens, which can happen, uh, we have to know our reasons for comparison. Are you ready for a very long list? I'm ready. Let me just hit mute. Okay, Jack is muted. Here comes the list. Both films feature an ineffectual young man meeting a young blonde woman, which leads to a series of bizarre and life-threatening misadventures in the middle of the night. Both released, as I said earlier, in the same year, 1985. Both movies feature taxi rides from hell, casual nudity, doors with attitude, unexpected corpses, surreal encounters, and a whole string of quirky side characters. Both were low-budget efforts and performed poorly at the box office. Both films have been categorised as screwball noirs, a blend of screwball comedies and film noirs, and also part of the yuppie nightmare cycle of films. Um, both uh, Both are directed by arguably two of the best directors of their generation. Both were coming off of projects that saw them dealing with severe financial, personal, professional, and legal issues at the time, and they both also do cameos within this film, within their respective films, rather. Both feature amazing ensemble casts, Both won Film Festival Awards. Film theorists have posited that these events occur on the exact same night on the West Coast and on the East Coast of America. Both films are referenced in an episode of Ted Lasso, Season 2, Episode 9, Beard After Hours. And both films have seemingly inspired some of the music from The Weeknd and some of his music videos. That is the list, Jack. What do you think? All right, beautiful.
2: Yeah, it all makes perfect sense. I mean, I loved your emphasis on the cast because they are star-studded in both respects, and mm. uh, particularly after hours, because I think I just recognised more people. I, I think if you uh, you know, a bit older than ourselves, although I'm a bit older than yourself, okay. um, you maybe would recognize more of the people in Into the Night. I think it was that that's leaning towards that, you know, sixties, seventies previous era, whereas the uh, after hours is the kind of people that we would have known from growing up. The only thing I take contention with, and it's not contention, I just don't think it really matters about them taking place on the same night. I think it's a mm. fun idea, mm. and it helps to push them together for the for for what we're doing. But I don't think it really makes a difference.
1: No, no, I, I guess not. It's something I read, and I, I like the mm. I, I like I like it's um it's a film theory I like. You know, yeah, yeah, with, yeah. With film theories, I I I take them with a pinch of salt. Like people are like. Oh well, the Matrix is connected to this film, film mm. this film, and this does this. If you think about it this way, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah but it's not, it's not true. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: and I think you know, you and I have been talking about it before watching, and you, you sent me that tweet from Edgar Wright, and and maybe that's this is my mistake. Now I watched it hoping that it might do something to my enjoyment, not enjoyment, my like mm. understanding it might, but I don't think having that knowledge before watching them or afterwards and trying to analyse them really changes either movie. No. I think if there'd been an event such, you know, even if it had been like it was a full moon on in both movies or Mm -hmm. I don't know, that might have tied this theory together a bit more. But
1: it,
2: it doesn't hurt them, but it doesn't necessarily add either. No,
1: I agree. I agree. That one from the list. I'm sure we'll come up with, <laughs> we'll, we'll come up with something else. I'm sure there's I've some. Got more. this guy back on, and he's criticizing already. Already, already. This is it. This, it's just typical, isn't it? Just typical. <laughs> um, no, no. I, you know, I, it's, that's a fair point. Again, these are just these are just things I've noticed, or, or things other people may have pointed out as well. Um, but yes. Um, so let's begin. Mm. So, so I, I believe you watched after hours, then into the night. I, I watched did. the other way round. Mm-hmm. Um, but, we're going to uh, we...
2: flip a coin to see which, which way around we're
1: going to do it oh we're going to do we're going to do I always like to do the, the one that came out earliest if I can Fair. So, yeah yeah good. So let's let's do Into the Night mm. would you uh, like to tell people the plot of
2: Into the Night <laughs> if you can I, I can tell you what happens in the first 20 minutes so then the rest maybe we'll discover as we go so Jeff Goldblum is like a mild mannered aerospace engineer I think yeah it's kind of like a data input guy, isn't he? Almost. Yeah. But he doesn't like his job and he's an insomniac. He can't sleep. And that's where we meet him at the start of the movie, isn't it? He's laying in bed, just staring into space. There's a very kind of almost 50s morning with his wife. He's made breakfast for him and and he goes off to work and he goes to work with Dan at Coy, doesn't he, in a, in a carpooling and he's trying to explain his his woes. And Dan Aqua's advice is like, if it happens again tonight, get in the car, go to the airport, go to Vegas, just, you know, do something with your night rather than laying in bed, just staring into space. He falls asleep at work, so he decides, I better go home and have a nap. We know what's going to happen. He comes home to find that his wife is having an affair with a very interesting choice. Hmm. Jeff Goldblum is, you know, charismatic and handsome. She's punching down in her affair rather than punching up, but, you know, each to their own. So he... Chooses that night to take the advice of that quote, but when he gets to the airport, becomes embroiled with Michelle Pfeiffer's Diana, named after the princess, or named like the princess, and a series of, in this instance, I would say absurdist situations occur. I think I think your screwball night is spot on, and I think the way that these two guys manage to balance two very different genres is is very skillful. But this one felt more absurdist to me in its mm. its comedic sense. Sure,
1: sure. No, I, I agree. I it is it. I think this one leans more on the comedy, like the out, mm-hmm. out and outs. This this Definitely. one is more screwball.
2: After hours yes. is more noir. Yes, that's great. So that's that's your setup, really. That's your trailer. That's your, and then, mad things happen. I think what I found interesting in After Hours is that Jeff. Sorry, in internet compared to After Hours is Jeff Goldblum's kind of proactiveness and his want to be involved and his like. So I thought that that gave his character. different edge compared to after hours which will you know So we'll then we'll talk about that later when we get to that that one but i think he's he's a character that has decided to kind of try and take some control in a life he feels he has no control and i think that gets him into all these various weird scrapes that you couldn't imagine in a a million years and what scrapes they are Mm -hmm. um i mean she she's um
1: so diana he's mm-hmm. he's at the airport he's about to kind of go and he's like you know she's like go sleep with somebody yeah, there's a girl in in vegas that'll do anything for this much money oh what do you mm. mean anything weird shit yeah <laughs> um go yeah acroyd's and- not
2: playing a very nice guy
1: no no but i'm uh no there's there's quite a few not not very nice people mm. uh but we'll get into that as well but yeah diana comes off comes out of this airport uh, with this guy immediately he's shot by mm. uh, Iranian um gangsters i i, I would call I guess them. yeah
2: yeah um it's never kind of specified is it
1: no they they kind of imply they say they say persian and then they say Iranian but it's i think that i think it's probably best that they're quite vague because i don't think the depiction is
2: yeah
0: uh, good no uh, i think i
2: think that's something we're going to have to cover that mm. yeah this doesn't do quite as well as no, After Hours. Maybe not. Maybe. Not. <laughs> um, but yeah. I,
1: but there's yeah. There's. I, I'd argue there's some problematic stuff with After Hours oh, as sure, well. sure, sure, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that is you know we all discuss it every every episode. And we always find some sort of problematic stuff.
2: Uh, every film I come mid eighties successful white guys in Hollywood. <laughs> uh, who's not to problematic? Know? <laughs> Never. Y- Yuppies being problematic now.
1: Nah. Um, I've seen RoboCop. They're fine. Um, <laughs> so yeah so she's come comes out these iranian terrorists kill her boyfriend or the man she's mm. with um and she is running for a life jumps on the the hood of his car jumps in and then they're they're off to the race as the mm. adventure begins um and he's trying to just basically he tries to speak to the police and she's like don't speak i don't want to speak to the police about this so he's like you just attacked you were just shot at you know, i was shot at and she's like no no just want to go home just take me home and he's he's doing you know he's doing his best, and he's trying to help as as much as he can. But she's n- not making it easy. Uh, I'd say no, she's not not fair. giving him not giving him the full story. She's lovely. She's beautiful, obviously. And what
2: well, I was going to say, in case anybody wondering why he would do this, it's nineteen eighty five. Michelle Pfeiffer
1: know, oh, in, in the peak of her powers. My Absolutely. goodness, she
2: is a very attractive I mean always still now as sure, a pair, yeah. but I mean yeah uh, uh, in this movie particularly the way that she is styled and the a way of, that a lot she, of hair Her hair's yeah black. and the way that she carries herself as this character I mean we were just discussing before about Byzantium and mm. um, Gemma Arterton another actress in a role where you know okay yeah. I'm yours do whatever you want with me <laughs> Michelle Fife is very much that in this movie
0: Mm,
1: mm. And, you know, and, and the same for Catwoman. I'm sure Tonya would agree with you there. You know, Rosanna Cat, I think, is absolutely stunning oh, as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In her, in her very own way. And mm. I would quite happily... Uh, you know, follow them anywhere for for the, for the slightest bit of attention or affection whatsoever.
2: Yeah, um, which so is yeah. really interesting to talk about when it comes to After yeah. Hours I think
1: yes. We will we will discuss mm-hmm. that. You know, and uh, and and other stuff undoubtedly. Um, but yeah, we we find that slowly but surely there's this kind of plot unraveling. It's mm. it's fairly complex, I think. the Because yeah, yeah. it's not all kind of laid out for you. Um, like After Hours is vague for a reason. Like there's mm-hmm. there's stuff going on. The paranoia builds. With this, it's kind of like it, it's it, it is almost a bit more dreamlike, I'd say, than After Hours. Mm-hmm. Like after Hours is like high tension, and yeah. you know, but this is kind of like it's L.A. It, is it real? Is it
2: fake? Yeah. You it's know, interesting because before obviously you said, and I completely agreed with you mm. that that this is more of the screwball, and, and After Hours is more of the noir. But then I suppose plot-wise, narrative-wise, mm-hmm. this is more noir in terms of that slowly revealing twisty plot not showing who's bad who's good whose intentions what's going on it has that kind of chinatown Maltese falcon-esque feel to it doesn't it so this is also noir in its presentation it's a screwball but in its writing it's a noir i suppose
1: yeah i think so and there's a there's a lot of the noirish elements like you know um The spoilers for the film, but the whole Uh, plot behind it is it's it's a real estate scam. (laughs) It's a real estate deal, which is kind of a, a big thing in noir that always turns out to be something really fucking mundane. And like yeah. it's just it's about like a land developer, a greedy land developer or something like that. And that's basically what this whole like people mm-hmm. are dead, loads of people have been killed, and it's all about this. Yeah, body count's surprisingly high. And the, and what's really interesting as well is is Landis really lands on the on the violence. Like he mm-hmm. really puts a, a fine point. The, the the violence is absolutely brutal. Like there's um I'd seen a clip of, of Landis getting shot which I thought mm-hmm. oh that's that's you know that's pretty brutal but there's a guy just before him who gets just shot to, and-
2: just sorry not you know just to be clear to everybody landis in character cameoing in the movie as, <laughs> as an iranian terrorist getting yeah, shot yeah sorry sorry yeah
1: sorry <laughs> apologies um yeah his his unnamed Iranian terrorist or gangster, or whatever he was. But there's a guy before, another guy who gets literally like slingshot mm. into, he gets a shotgun to the chest and literally like bounces off the wall. And I was like, and I, you know, and I've seen a lot of, I've seen some shit jack. I've seen some violence. <laughs> I've seen cannibal holocaust. I know how it all goes. And uh, and he literally like flies into that wall mm. so hard. I was like, oh, I felt it. I felt it. It was horrible. Um, so it's really, it's really interesting that he, he, Piles on the absurd, uh, the absurdity and the absurdist comedy, but then when it comes to like the, it's not Looney Tunes violence; it's real, no. absolutely, you know, visceral violence. And and I like that juxtaposition that we go mm. for. And like when the guy actually shoots himself as well. Again, mm. at the end of the film, there's a guy who shoots himself, and that's that's
2: quite extreme. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, very um, it's private pile like woolen mm, jackets. Oh style. God, yeah. Know, blood up the wall, people covered in blood that are, that are around him. Yeah, it has that that feel to it. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I found that really fascinating. Um, and the like, I do, I do think it is maybe a touch too long. Agreed. I think After Hours does something where because I, I read that the um, Scorsese cut twenty five minutes from After Hours, even more.
2: I think. I think. Yeah. yeah.
1: Maybe, maybe more. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think this could have just done with a bit of tightening up. Mm-hmm. Just, I think there was a couple, maybe too many
2: cameos or maybe a, too a many John scenes. Landis movie that's slightly long? Never. I mean, you know, I love Bruce Brothers. I grew up watching that, but I mean, you know. You yeah, it is a bit long. Half an hour out of that as well. I mean, not Werewolf to be fair, but. Yeah, true. I think he is a director who is, can be prone to to doing that as well.
1: Always mm. oh, he's, he's a larger than life character himself, isn't he? He's always like he's always like laughing <laughs> always laughing and, and doing stuff. Um so yeah, I, I can see why he and it, again, it is very it is very LA. Like, yes. I think I think you said this off off the podcast that both of the cities in this are very much character within mm-hmm. the within the film. And and I, I get the sense that Landis
2: loves LA. I don't mm-hmm. get the sense that Scorsese loves New York. <laughs> definitely but there were some really interesting i think particularly towards the start of insta night some Mm. really interesting choices in locations because you go from jeff goldblum's kind of suburbia Mm. but he films that in a way which seems there's something not quite right with it almost like burton-esque yeah like a a blue velvet kind of yeah maybe that's a better comparison actually because there's a shot when when goldblum's character is ed i think is driving down under a bridge and there's like a airplane being dragged across a, a bridge it has a really otherworldly quality to it. it doesn't look like that should be real but I'm assuming that's a real thing that happens at the LA airport I don't know so yeah I think the way he chooses to shoot LA does give it a yeah Lynch tune is, is a better way to describe it that sense of like dreamlike dreamlike but also like a sense of falseness I think which makes sense when he's making a film about people who are putting up pretenses and false fronts and I th- yeah i think it feels deliberate
1: i i did quite like when it became like when he goes onto a set he goes onto mm-hmm. a film set um and, and michelle pfeiffer's character has a friend there and she's um turns out in the film within the film she's stolen these uh emeralds these mm. very that are on some sort of iranian scepter or
2: something it's very like a mule, isn't she she's brought yeah. them in from yeah
1: yeah so and uh, I and mean, there's a there's a uh, talking about casual nudity there's a moment where she's um, she's secreted them let's say uh, yes. somewhere and she's removing that it's not it's not like it's not like oh, let me get this out it's not basic but, instinct's no No. it's not it's nothing like that it's just like it's it's an, it's implied enough and it's done you know
2: with I, enough taste and I think not- yeah I was that's, a, that's exactly what I think the scene with fifa is tasteful because i think mm. it's in keeping with the character because she is a character who is free about mm. herself she's very open and i mean that in terms of to the world and sure. to chances and so i think she would be free with her body i don't think she would care i think there are other moments and you can accuse after hours of it as well where there is casual nudity just for the sake of boobs
0: mm.
1: yeah yeah absolutely i i 100 agree but I, again it's uh, the kind of films that are being made that they I uh, I think they do have to be a little bit risqué. There has to be mm-hmm. some yeah, sure, risqué sure. elements. But yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I I agree and I think I think you don't get movies like that made then without having something like that. The yeah. the expectation is there that if it's an adult film, we need to mm-hmm. have adult content, language, mm-hmm. nudity, mm-hmm. other themes that are adult. Um, yeah but yeah I I have to I have to agree um Landis obviously puts massive amounts of direct cameos mm-hmm. uh, including uh, Jim Henson mm-hmm um, you've got Amy Emmy Heckling is is the director of Fast Times at Richmond High. She's the waitress. Um, and there's a few others I Cronenberg's forget. in it, isn't he? Of course, yeah. Mm. Who who would here's here's another connection. Mm. So, so Howard Shaw does the soundtrack for After Hours, does mm-hmm. the score. They he usually works with David Cronenberg, mostly, almost entirely. Cronenberg is Goldblum's boss, mm. <laughs> become his boss, and they'd all reunite a year later. As a release of the fly, came. nice. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there yeah. you go. There. There's another connection. Mm. Um, so yes, and and yeah, we we also get a shit ton of Playboy cameos as well, mm. uh, Playboy bunny cameos, uh, which is again probably one of Landis's uh, uh, things to do that he likes. Uh, That's
2: mostly, I think, I assume, in that scene in the fake movie when all the women yeah, come out there in like a beauty contest, aren't they? yeah, yeah sure. so
1: okay. there's no nudity there but he's he's giving In like up, swimsuits
2: aren't they yeah like swim. they're supposed to be like beauty pageant contestants mm. or something that, that, like that that's that part of the film's interesting i mean we sort of jumped almost the halfway mm. but i mean um because i think parts of that really work i think the the fake filming works because it feels like a joke critique of what filming is so when you have them all coming out and you know was that shot good enough i can do it again i can do it yeah, again yeah. But what didn't work for me? I really didn't like the montage of Jeff Goldblum does slapstick. Jeff Goldblum sits on a rock and his mm. arse falls into it. Jeff Goldblum leans on a wall and he falls through it because it's all fake. Mm. I think those moments were meant to be laugh out loud funny, and I, I, for me personally, I yeah. didn't really find that they landed.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree. I think I think there's one. Too, I, I think you're already saying. You're already saying Hollywood is fake because we've just seen yeah. the scene. We've just been cause we're it's presented like it's part of the story. It's presented mm. and filmed like it's part of the film, like the ongoing film we're watching. And and you think, oh shit, what what new misadventure is this going to be what's this going to lead to what what does this connect to who is this mm. person who is that who is this um like in both films there's a lot of mysterious blokes on phones as well like who? oh I'm yeah. calling this person i'm calling that person i'm calling this person and again i guess that's kind of a noir element as well like phone calls um not
2: necessarily but it, it is in a way um, yeah yeah and secret conversations being you're not privy to the information yeah
1: yeah exactly and that's and that's what the characters are are dealing with that paranoia and that Mm. like what's going on what's happening who's this who's that how am i working what am i why am i involved what's going on um So, yeah, we, and we, um, I completely forgot what I'm talking about. The (laughs) the faintness in Hollywood. Yes. So you were
2: saying like there's one layer already and then you've got. Yes. So, so
1: yeah, I think he hammers it home the point too hard with those Mm. moments. And Jeff Goldman can play them. I think he can play them and he does it well. But again, it's kind of, I think it's cheap gag. Mm. Yeah. It's a really cheap gag. Just see them go, oh, this is fake. You know, um, I, I'm sure there's a film, I can't remember what film it is, but it's like, I think it, maybe it's, maybe it's, um, it might, it may even be Jay and Silent Bob where they, they're they running and they run right into a, 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 like a matte painting and they go, Hollywood is so fake. Um, you know,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, I
1: think it's something like that. It's somewhere. If it's not that film, it's, it's... It Strikes Back, I think. Yes. Yeah. I think it is Strikes Back. Jay and Silent Bob. Because strikes they, back. because they, they, um, a bit meta isn't it so it
2: is because they're also in scream 3 aren't they yes on the film set yeah yeah.
1: i'm pretty sure it's that but that like that gag works because it's just like oh yeah they've run into the thing it's like a looney tunes cartoon and bam yep obviously hollywood's so fake boom that's all you need to say you don't need to hang or lean on it but again he's kind of he's already done that with the scene where they're all like i love that i love that bit where he comes up to directors like what do you think of this what do you think of this uh they're both shit Um, Yeah, Yeah, i thought that was one of my favorite gags uh they're both shit um, and uh, and there's a lot of that, and there's a lot of playfulness to it. But I think, I think that borders a bit too far into kind of just like goofy, mm. like probably maybe some of his sensibilities for for comedy which is not necessarily a bad thing like i I enjoy john landis i enjoy his comedy and stuff so um but yeah i I have to agree with you i think i again it wasn't it didn't work with the dreamlike aspects but it also didn't work in regards to the plot you know i'd I'd rather him start maybe nodding off and end up in a silly situation or Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. or something like that because at least that comedy is within the story, it's within the character yeah and and it would be natural for him to go like like maybe he ends up being filmed because he's sat in a in a chair and he falls asleep in it. He wakes up and they're like, and they're acting like he's an actor in it or something mm-hmm. like that. I think there was definitely opportunity to play with something else in a different way and it work as opposed to these particular gags that it's the same gag mm-hmm. like two or three times. It
0: and is, it's not, yeah.
1: And it's not even like they're not getting better or or or, or they're not increasing in kind of like ah, ha, ha,
2: mm-hmm. kind of. It's just oh it, yeah, it's, 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 it falls over it's mel brooksy which i sometimes he hits and sometimes he misses for me well like you think of like airplane when you have um, lloyd bridges and you keep cutting back to him in the tower and it's like a, you know, i picked the wrong day to give up sniffing glue and it's the same gag but there's a development each yes. time yeah, increases like yes. this. Like he's getting hooked on,
1: he's he's on heroin, he's on cocaine, yeah. he's on. And again, you're going, ah, ha, ha, because it's it's, it's, uh, it's building. And I, I yeah. don't think that built anything. And then it just kind of just, and at this point, I'm kind of like, why is he not going home?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, which you can, I guess you can level at both films. But, yeah, um, true.
1: Why have you not gone home? Why have you not attempted to go home now of
2: all times? Um, I mean, the answer just very clearly here is Michelle Pfeiffer.
1: True. No, I, I'm not going to argue, but it, it just seem, it seems like it was resolved. Like you know, she's given yeah. giving him the money, or she's there was a couple of times,
2: wasn't there? There was yeah. this time, and then there was when he dropped off at the hotel. Where a couple of times when absolutely he could have like cut out of the situation, and yeah.
1: In a way, I think I like the characters more than I like the plot. In a mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. like I, I again, I think you could cut some stuff out. I think there's elements and stuff. Um, I love I love David Bowie in it. Oh man, he was amazing. It was like Gary Oldman. Yeah, it was amazing. He's like, "So you're very good, you. You're very yeah. good." And it's like, what, "What the fuck, David? What's David Bowie doing?" And then he just yeah, all yeah. of a he sudden, oh so good, shoves a fucking like forty five in, uh-huh. in Jeff Goldblum's mouth and he's like, yeah. and he's cupping like the, he's cupping like the bottom of his chin, like, yeah, put that in your mouth. Very, very like homoerotic as well. But yeah, he's got, he's got like a little um a little plaster on, and it's just like. Uh, it's just so, and again, that that I liked, like that mm. that could have been an after hours. I think that
2: yeah, that, absolutely,
1: yeah, that segment, and also the when the, he goes up to the hotel room and and nobody's there, and then he finds all the dead bodies. Mm. Like that could have been that could have easily been an after hours as well, um, and that I loved as well, like him just walking around as the mm. Universal Monsters movie playing, and um, and that was really atmospheric. I I, I love the atmosphere of both films. Mm. Um, again, very different, but I love that. It, it's it's the aesthetic is is really strong like all the flaws in either film i think you can you can you know you can pull and pick at stuff but i think <laughs> the aesthetic of them is really strong the visual elements are really strong and i think the music is absolutely brilliant in both um
2: in, in, I'm, I'm looking forward to discussing the music in two, in two different ways i will say i'm holding the, back until we do the comparison part okay i'm just gonna riley right. smile over here which I, people can't I, hear I, <laughs> and we'll I,
1: I, I kind of know what you're going to say, but I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the mu- I enjoyed the song that the score is based on. Let me say that. <laughs> let's let's say that for into the sure. night. Uh,
2: BB- I think yeah, BB- yeah, because he had a few songs, did mm. I think into the night is a bit more sketchy than after hours. Feels more of like a, they they both have these vignettes, mm. but I think there's a sketchiness to into the night where like some hit and some don't. So you're absolutely right. The hotel room is brilliant. David Bowie is Gary Oldman in the future the segment really works. I think, you know, then, but then you have like the, the bit on the, on the boat, which isn't good at all when like, you have Michelle yeah. for first and then, you know, Larry is refusing to let her on the boat. And then you have the scene on the boat when Larry is stripping down and his girlfriend stripping down and then the Iranians come in and it's just certain moments don't land at all. So I think into the night, is just a bit more hit and miss. And I think that's because of what you were talking about before. This sense of the mixture of tones. He wants it to be kind of Looney Tunes, like you said at times. He wants it to be really slapsticky. But then that moment in Helltoim is almost like a a horror movie.
1: The guy's creepily like taking down a dress and wants to see a mm. naked. And again, it's like and it's it's not like <sighs> Like I quite like the doors thing. Like when the doors aren't working and they can't sure. open the doors and the, it's locked, and then eventually they just start shooting the doors. I don't, like they just can't figure that out. I quite enjoyed that aspect. Or well, there's the where they go and they get new suits for some reason, and they're getting yeah, the tailor, yeah, yeah, tailored yeah. up. They got women in there with drink, and and then again they see the like that's another hole for me as well in the, in the plot is Jeff Goldblum is sneaking out of of Michelle Pfeiffer's mm. Elvis brother, Elvis impersonating. That was a good place. scene. Yeah, and he's he's driving out in the Elvis car, very plain as day. He's like, "You get down, but I'll drive out." And and John Landis's Iranian character mm. looks at the guy, uh, looks at Jeff Goldblum square in the face, and he's like, "Yeah, we'll move the car, no worries." But then later he spots him, and he's like, "Oh my god, that's the guy! Why didn't he react like that before?" That's mm. for me, I was a bit like, "That that's fine, but you needed." I think maybe there was a scene missing where they recognize him or. Or yeah, they see sure. him with her, or something like that. Which maybe, maybe at that they...
2: point it's been too. Maybe they didn't recognize him from the garage, but it's been too coincidental that they keep seeing the same guy. I I, I agree with you. I'm I'm finding ways to write them mm. out of a of a problem there.
1: Yeah, that was that was my only that was one of my only issues because I was like, well, why is that? Well, why wouldn't he do it then and mm. do it now? But
2: because the beach what, house what scene is is weird as well. Pfeiffer's character Diana has given her friend on the film set a coat, uh, has given her the emeralds, and they've put them inside the secret pocket in a coat, haven't they? And the next morning, which is something to talk about as well, actually, about the fact that this isn't actually just one night into yeah. the night. Yes. It's into the night and the day and the next night. It's like but, f- know,
1: 48 hours. Or- that's a not- shit
2: title. <laughs> <laughs> into the night and the next day and the next night. That's not sacred. <laughs> so I mean, not 48 so hours Forty-eight hours is unfortunately taken. So sure. Yeah, have, yeah, yeah. Um, 52 hours? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, that, whatever. that beach scene's weird because she comes back with the director, doesn't she? Uh, no, the producer, I think, sorry. And they they're in there's a lot of like male wish fulfillment in this movie as well. Very beautiful women with yeah. very ugly men. But um they're they're having a little good time and the Iranians coming again. But that scene is weird when they like chase her into the beach and it's very kind of comedic and they and she sort of gets away and then comes back and they encircle her and then gets really dark and really graphic really quickly. Yeah. When they drown her in the sea and just leave her bobbing and floating. I and- thought it was gonna be like she sputters at the end, but she is just left there for dead. Or like
1: she gives up the the emeralds or she yeah. gives up the coat, or she does something. Um, not
2: but mentioned not... by anybody. Not the not the producer boyfriend. Not fight for Diana. Nobody seems to care that she's dead. No,
1: and then neighbors go, "Oh, look at this! What's going <laughs> on here? I, I must <laughs> yeah. call the police!" Like proper, like cheating. Like, "Oh shit!" And they realize it's serious. But then, and then they, again, you get this really, this you know, really far away shot of them just like pr- like three or five guys in these suits. Mm. Very cheesy, techie, like suits drowning this woman, and again, it's again. There's no music. I don't. I don't mm. remember any music, and it's mm. just like proper serious. And then, not only that, they have to hammer it home how serious it is by just having the the waves crash against her dead body. Mm. And I was like, I was like, that's really pushing it. And then he's not. And then the producer isn't that fucking asked about. I don't give a shit. He's like my fucking room's trashed, and then they're like, "Well, we know you had cocaine on you, so so we're gonna make sure you're not breaking your parole." And he's like, "And he's like, literally, don't know how, don't know why, don't know what's going on, mm. what the fuck." And then the limo, that whole limo scene, I didn't quite enjoy with the with the French uh, director. I can't remember. He's he's another famous director, but I can't remember his name off, yeah, of the, is it off my head.
2: Vadim or
1: yeah, Vadim something, Vadim yeah. something. Whatever
2: yeah, as we said, I'm not sure if I know who half these people are anyway. Yeah. So.
1: But uh, and, and that goes to show, we're talking about an obscure film with the directors of big names who are having cameos from all obscure people.
2: Roger uh, Vadim.
1: There we go. Roger Vadim. Look him up. Google him. Find out stuff. <laughs> um, I know there's a YouTube video of all the cameos mm-hmm. from Into the Night. So if you want to know who everyone is, go watch that. I'll, you know what? I'll leave it in the show notes. How about that? Nice. There we go. I don't need to list them all because they're all going to be there in the show notes. Um, but, yeah, that, that whole, like, them – You know, she invites the cop over, she gets the coat, um, guy checks the coat, and then the cop comes over, and it's... Mm. And he's like, oh, he doesn't speak English, and and you've got the two goons as well, and then they trick them out of the. It's not a very good trick. I, no. I know that. Obviously, she's like, oh, I brought a policeman over, so you can't do anything. But then it's like, no, they could still do stuff. It's like one lone copper, yeah. You know, and you've got three three massive guys, and and he's got a gun.
2: I guess so... the whole force on the other side. Yeah, I, I hear you, but I, mean, I think that's yeah. that sketchiness. I think some things just feel thought out and work. Mm. Where some things, maybe it was, you know, like, oh, let's try this. And they kept it in. Or I don't know, certain moments just don't land, do they, as well? yeah
1: and uh, and i think what's good about it is the is the actors are really selling it like they're mm-hmm. doing their absolute best work they can do and and you know i like jeff goldblum and you know even his r u r you yeah. know and all, all that stuff all those kind of uh, jeff goldblumisms i you know i i quite appreciate his work and 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 i can appreciate it. and i like that he takes you know takes the piss out of himself and stuff he doesn't take himself too seriously uh, there's an interview again on youtube again i'll leave it in the show notes um, and he was—he said how young he was and how inexperienced he was, and how now if he went back he would play it differently. And mm. and and I, I think that there is something that I think there's something like no offense to him, but I think that he's somewhat right. I think I think there's maybe again it's with these characters. Now Jack Nicholson was originally mm. up for the for the role for this, and he made Landis fly him all the fly Landis all the way out to to have a meeting with it, and he goes. I love the script. I love you. I don't like this character. And he said he said that the the character didn't have enough. um, What's the word? It was uh, the character was too passive.
2: Right. Yeah. I was going to say, has got enough agency. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And and Nicholson was like, that's why I turned it down because Mm -hmm. the audience want to see someone take action.
2: Mm -hmm. And I think you're right. He
1: does take some action,
2: but he chooses to stay involved. Yes. Like he wants to be there. He doesn't yeah, that's... do anything. He just hangers around in the in hmm. in the scenes.
1: Yeah, and then he kind of yeah, it doesn't really solve much. No, if you think about it, um, and not like not like uh, Griffin Dunn's character solves much or is a man of action in in After Hours either. But I think there may be something to what Jack Nicholson is saying. I think. Yeah,
2: it's interesting. It's almost in that realm of like um, stoner detectives, isn't it? I don't know if you ever saw uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's. The name is escaping with Whacking Phoenix. Oh, I think I know. Is it Inherent Vice or something? Yes, like thank that? you. Thank yeah. you for helping me get the inherent vice. You know, that sense of that kind of you know, another character who is almost caught up in something and they're not really in control, and they just kind of find their way to an answer. So I don't know if it's meant to be in that kind of realm or an early version of that. I don't know when that came into being as a as an as a new character trait and trope. But yeah, he's just sort of in scenes, he's not active but i do think he is proactive and he wants to be there i think also like there's probably not a lot he could have done he shares most of his scenes with michelle Pfeiffer, who is absolutely like dynamite in this like forgetting like forgetting the fact that she's beautiful and sexy and all those kind of things which would make most men do what jeff goldman's doing fair her. just her performance is really strong she totally inhabits that character she is that kind of ethereal manic dream pixie girl which i know we're not supposed to like those anymore <laughs> but she is that kind of woman who you could see would own every room she goes into she would be fine on that film set she would be fine at the payboy mansion yeah. she would be fine here because everyone would gravitate towards her and michelle pfeiffer radiates that so i think it would have taken a very special actor to have got up to her level anyway
1: and i think it, uh when we when we talked about those uh those rear window movies all of the rear mm. window movies that we talked about the the young lady who has to kind of pick someone out of the group of lads to to be with so she's not constantly harassed by people yeah and and i I actually think her story her backstory and and everything's quite interesting and uh, and the way that she's survived and had to survive and found Mm. ways to survive um through this world of kind of sleazy blokes and Mm. you know uh, double dealings and all this other stuff and people just Abandoning abandoning her and mm. the, the, all these d- mysterious men that she knows and again these mysterious men on these phone calls like you know fair enough fair play to her and and again i can see why these characters gravitate to her but like she's she's the the go she's the go getter she's the yes. she's the agency and and jeff goldblum is kind of pulled along in a vacuum um and yeah. along for the ride and i and i think in some ways he's supposed to be a little bit of a a blank slate for Mm -hmm. us to identify with like i can definitely identify with not fucking sleeping and i can identify with going into the night looking for something much like an after hours and not necessarily finding what i wanted or Mm -hmm. what i thought i wanted um and again we'll get into that but there's there's definitely something i can kind of i can kind of see yeah there's something to grab at with him, and something mm-hmm. to grab hold of with, and this adventure, and the ludicrousness of of what continues and comes out, and the and the violence, and the different scenarios. Um, but yeah, I think I still think maybe he just needed a little bit more agency because I, I feel yeah. like even in the
2: end, Pfeiffer's told him what to do. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I guess to counter, I mean, I agree with you. I guess Mm. to counter that, I mean, he is an insomniac, right? And he is living, he's in that kind of half awake, half asleep state Mm. throughout the movie and throughout his life, really. Mm. I did worry as I was watching it that we were going to get to the, it's all a dream. I've woken up and it's. Oh,
1: fucking hell. Thank God.
2: Even even like literally until maybe the last scene, Mm. I did think, I mean, we're talking spoilers anyway, aren't we? So he, towards the end, they're, they're staying at a. They've been taken by a police detective, haven't they, after the big shootout at the airport. They they were going to get away, and then the plane doesn't take off as a mechanical failure, so they come back into the airport, don't they? They were going to run off to New Mexico or Mexico, I'm not sure. Somewhere, somewhere, yeah. They were going to run off. So they come back into the airport, and all the Iranians there, and there's a big shootout with all the police, and and then this bribe detective takes them to a hotel room, and Jeff Goldman falls asleep, doesn't he? And I thought, oh, fuck, here we go. Yeah. It was, you know, he's at the airport. So this is where he was all along, and the whole thing was like a fever dream or an insomniac dream until he wakes up. Michelle Pfeiffer's gone, and then he leaves the room, and then she's there in the hallway waiting for him. Mm. She's decided to come back. It probably did happen, rather than it was just all a dream. Mm. But
1: then it could indicate that it was a dream because she, the way the the maid is saying that, oh, it's been like a couple of days, or it's been like twenty four hours. That yeah, twenty four was hours, late.
2: wasn't it? Yeah, but she did say she saw her leave, didn't she? Yeah,
1: and saw her leave. So you're thinking is is he imagining that is he dreaming that and is, is yeah. he dreaming of coming back so maybe it could be, could um, be yeah. i know we've got something to talk about at the end of after hours as well a little bit as well mm. and what what they're trying to say with the ending of that film or what we think they're trying to say it's 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 a fun time again i i yes. I, I definitely think it's a bit too long but i i, mm-hmm. I it's not a film i will i i, I hate it or I'm, I'm i'm i don't you know i i don't I didn't enjoy. it. I absolutely enjoyed it. I think, yeah, it does have yeah. problems, and so does so does After Hours, and we'll we'll get into that comparison as well, uh, pretty pretty soon. I think. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say about Into the Night before we get into into After Hours,
2: or um, anything you want to bring up? No, I, th- I agree. I think you know it whizzes past. It's a fun time. I think the flaws are there as you watch it, whereas maybe After Hours, the flaws are there when you start to analyze it afterwards. Hmm not to try and pun on a title, but um, I think it's very much just a John Landis movie. I mean, I'm not an aficionado of his. I'm not seen all his work, but I did, you know, like I said before, I grew up watching Blues Brothers. I loved that, but you watch that as an adult and it's a very flawed movie. It's fun. It's a very mm. flawed movie. So I think it has those, that kind of hallmarks of the things which he gravitates towards that you pro- like, probably wouldn't make it into a movie. Now, I suppose the closest that we have to, to that modern day is the Judd Apatow cycle of movies where they were sketchy and always over long and had moments that hit and didn't land. Uh, hmm. I mean, what he is good at is car chases. There's a great oh, car chase in yeah. this through the, the, the multi-story car park yeah proper
1: taxi ride he's just like i look they jump in the cab and he's like fuck i'm being shot at and he's like reversing <laughs> yeah. and then he um he i think he slams on the brakes and landis hits the floor in his as his iranian character um and then he then he, he escapes the the iranian mobsters and he, and he just turns to him and they're all like like
2: oh wow we made it we're 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 okay and he gets
1: get the fuck out of my cab yeah.
2: there was I a really it. funny moment in that i don't know if you've got an explanation. When he enters the the car park, he stops and gets a ticket. And they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's like, trust me, trust me. And his plan is to drive most of the way up, isn't it? And then he gets enough of a head start that he can skid out of there. It's one of those like twisty, windy, Mm. like roads up through the multi-story. And they keep going. And then he drives back the other way to get down. But on the way back out, he bursts through the barrier. So I'm not sure why he stopped to get the. I don't know. I don't know if he had. Maybe it's I just a silly moment. We're not supposed to rethink too much. On I'm going. Yeah. Deep, but I, 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 maybe
1: maybe he was saving the the cab, not damaging it on the way in, but damaging it on the way out. Not who knows. The, the, I mean, the logic is is <laughs> broad, but but there you are. Um, I will. I will say. Um. Lou Gulliger, who plays the agent at the end, the FBI agent or whoever he is, um, he said, as I uh, suggested earlier, that both directors are coming off some very difficult things mm. in their lives so so landis quite famously uh is coming off of the twilight zone mm. which uh vic morrow and two children died because he asked for more explosions and bigger explosions and um and the children weren't supposed to work that late so unfortunately an explosion went off helicopter came down and the and unfortunately cut the actor and the two children to pieces in the rotor blades which is horrific tragedy There was a whole court case he was cleared, however you feel about that, he was cleared and, and now has to kind of live with the knowledge of mm. being responsible. There's a great little documentary on uh, Shudder. If you have access to Shudder, I highly recommend it. Um, there's loads of kind of uh, basically like like backstage pass, like I do, mm-hmm. but it's on certain films. So I uh, highly recommend uh, those documentaries. Cursed Films, it's called. That's it. And, uh, and yeah, so however you feel he's coming off that and clue gooliger says that the amount of cameos we had was a sign of support for for landis the reason mm. that they turn up you know jim henson and everyone else is to go we still believe in him he's still our friend we still support him which is nice and again however you feel about landis and that absolute tragedy mm. that occurred you know it's 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 you know if that's True, then I think that's a pretty nice thing of of yeah, um, you know, of, of your friends to turn out and assist you. Maybe it didn't help the film because a lot of pointless scenes that don't really go
2: anywhere. I was um, going to say like that's great and it's nice to have that share of support. Sure. Um, actors probably would have done a better job. Let's be honest. Sure, sure. They're, they're directors for a reason are not actors. It did. It does jolt me out every now and then. Some sometimes these things work and they're like Cronenberg acts. So actually, that's fine. A few times I was, yeah, I knew I was not watching a professionally trained or professionally performing actor.
1: Um, but yeah, that's the last thing I want to say about Into the Night. Uh, again, do recommend it. Give it a give it a go. Um, and now let's let's go into after hours
0: because mm.
1: the different rules apply in uh-huh. after hours. Um, so uh, so Jack, why don't you tell us about this one?
2: Uh, What's your synopsis for this? Mm, yeah, okay. So I guess fairly similar setup, as you said at the the very top of the comparisons. We've got the kind of yuppie guy, dissatisfied with his work, and a wonderful little scene with Bronson Pinchot. Just really doesn't want to be at work. Is it it a data processor? It's a great scene. I'm a data processor, damn (laughs) it. And this is Griffin Dunn playing the main character in After Hours. Yeah, after work he goes to a cafe, he's having a cup of coffee. I always find it a bit weird when people do this at like late at night, having a cup of coffee, but all right. No wonder people can't sleep in movies because they're always drinking coffee late at night. And here he has a brief conversation with Rosanna Arquette. Her name's escaping me. I'm sorry, I don't know what her name is in this. Ma- yeah, the- Marcy, Marcy. Marcy, thank you, yes. Yeah. So he's having a conversation with her and she drops in some weird little tidbits about like I've got an artist friend and she makes, what is it, like paper mache uh, yeah
1: t- cheese cheese um bagels or something like that something yeah. like that yeah Pre- so cream cheese
2: cream cheese bagel that's it yeah um and then sort of briefly mentions a guy which puts him off but then gives him her number and says you know if you ever want one of these paper mache give me a call and we'll be able to sort that out so he goes home and decides she was very attractive she was she is brilliant i think in the scene she's in because you never know who's going to walk in the room with you. You never know who you're talking to. She's kind of cutesy, but she's also sexy, and she's kind of like unhinged, but also she's very, very good in this role, I think. But he's very taken with her, as again, as with Michelle Pfeiffer as diner, understandably. So he gives the number a number of call, and she says, "Well, why don't you come over then?" Which was probably the worst mistake he's he's ever made was choosing to do that because again, this this is now a setup, and then a cycle of kind of we said absurd for. um, into the night. Mm. Here, I think I would say surreal, surreal vignettes occur, starting with kind of the date with her and getting to know her housemate.
1: <laughs> no, I, th- I think that's a that's a fine synopsis without spoiling too much. But
2: yeah, Which we'll do it in a minute. I'm sure as we talk about. Oh, absolutely, it. absolutely. In terms of the setup, that's where we're at, isn't it? And then, yeah, actually, is set over one night of kind of weird, crazy, wacky occurrences with such a brilliant supporting cast
1: absolutely absolutely um you mentioned the housemates uh linda mm. Fi- fiorentino mm. i think um of dogma and various other films as well uh, i was i was very taken with her i love her i love her hairstyle her style um yeah she's got a really cool character really interesting um and and really different um and yeah yeah it was i, I really i really dug what what she was what she was doing what she was about how she presented herself and 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 everything um I, I after hours is a very interesting film mm. it's kind of like we we're saying like a dark kind of wizard of oz type yeah which um, is
2: directly referenced isn't it yeah, yeah. like an
1: urban nightmare of, yeah but i like i i like i was saying i do relate to like jeff goldblum's character i've I've had nights like this. Mm-hmm. Like I've had nights where, like I said, I'm chasing what I think I want, or someone I want, or something. Or you know, you're going into the night. You know, I, I think. Um, Ted Mosby says it's best. Uh, said it's best in uh, in How I Met Your Mother, where he goes. Um, you know. Good things never occur after three o'clock in the morning.
2: <laughs> sure. Don't, yeah, yeah.
1: Don't don't fucking bother. Um and he's and he was right. Um and there's been, you know, there's been situations where I've met a young lady or or we, you know, you have expectations or they have expectations, or, you know, you know, or misunderstandings occur or or again mm. there's a series of unfortunate events yeah. um as i think you you called it on your letterbox review <laughs> yeah. um but yeah like, i've been in those situations and yeah was it something i wanted at the time yeah did i make the right decisions at personal decisions at the time did i act in the right way uh, I, you know I, probably not or i i did what i thought was best in those situations but very much i've i've seen and, and been in these situations so i found it quite relatable but also mm we don't know anything about him we don't yeah. know if he's a good guy
2: deep down interesting i and i think you used blank slate for jeff goldblum in tonight and i think it's a similar case mm. here i think he's presented to us early on as like an off you know office space that <laughs> might judge me be. like mm. that kind of oh we all know this guy like he hates his job we've all been there and then i agree with you like we've all been at that place where like is this the right decision at this point afterwards you know it's not going to be but i'm going to go through with it anyway and we've all done that at some point so i think we are supposed to like him at the start mm. however i do think that one of the key differences between the two movies is that this has more depth i think this has something to say after hours compared to night i think night is good fun mm. but it's all gloss it's all surface it's all quite shallow really it's la yeah exactly whereas this is definitely 90, early 1980s New York is not a nice place to be in Soho but also has something to say about the kind of people sorry for banging my mic then excitedly um, yeah I think we are supposed to judge him because essentially he gets himself into the scrape because he wants to get laid and when it doesn't work out with Marcy it's like well she'll do then and actually will she do and I'm not sure about her And but he continually lets himself be invited into blonde women's homes mm. hoping he's going to get some and I think we are supposed to judge him for that
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean, he—he's. It's almost like five hundred days of summer in some ways. Like a lot of people view that and they go, "Oh, wow, summer's a real bitch." And Mm. you think, actually, no, he's a fucking knobhead. The guy Mm. that, like, even even Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, I think you're watching that film wrong (laughs) because he has these expectations and he thinks she'll change her mind and and she'll be with him and she'll do that. And I think there is this kind of almost a a layer of toxic masculinity that he he goes well she's invited me over so that means we're going to have sex yeah, yeah absolutely if yeah you yeah, yeah. don't have sex I'm going to be fucking disappointed I'm going to be angry and I'm going to be shitty and that and that's what he does he, well yeah. to be to be fair there are certain kind of red flags
2: certain red flags only so, well red flags.
1: only okay only red flags <laughs> <laughs> and and it's like okay okay you probably should have left and then he goes right well you know, he sees he finds this book and it's all burns and he expects her to be burnt and disfigured. Mm. He thinks he sees some disfigurement or scarring on her. Um, and all these little kind of little paranoid little moments. And again, the not quite hearing the voices on the phone calls, mm. what are they saying? Who are they talking about? Who is this guy they're referencing? Like this, this whole mystery and and again, upping the paranoia, upping the tension. Yeah. Uh, again, I knocked my mic then because I'm excited too. <laughs> um and and again, I think it does it better than than into the night where it's kind of still into night kind of still wants to have its cake and eat it It still wants to be the Mm. fun you know comedy but i think this this is i think if i watched after hours again now i think i would laugh out loud more and on a second viewing yeah but i think as as i'm experiencing it and i'm like oh fucking hell yeah i don't like this i'm you know you in in a way you're supposed to be anxiety ridding oh
2: yeah yeah You know, this is the motion that you want to feel. It feels dark and dangerous all the way through. Like, you know, I mean, bad things do happen to people, but you just, you know, there's just another bad thing around the corner, even if it's in a surreal situation. Yeah, I completely agree.
1: And and even if it's in a nice package. And, Mm. and like you were saying, Rosanna Arquette is this, you know, it's, it's, you know, the beautiful blonde girl, she approaches you and it's all so easy. And you think, oh, yeah, I'm going to get exactly what I want or what I think Mm -hmm. I want. Um, and then when you get it, it's not um, it's nothing. None of this is what he wanted. Mm. The whole night, I don't, I don't know why all the blonde women are, are so like seemingly bipolar. Like every single yeah, I don't, know if, I don't know, I don't know what that's saying about maybe like every woman he meets, every every apart from the the last woman at the end who is kind of dangerous in her own way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's maybe I don't know what they're trying to say there. Like every woman he's interacting with is is. You know all of a sudden just like flip-flopping like emotionally
2: i think there's a definite i mean i read you know and you can see it in the movie a lot of the moves are quite ostentatious the camera moves sorry the cinematography Mm. and he's paying homage whilst also playfully kind of ripping at hitchcock isn't he yes i think i think that's simply what it is you know hitchcock was obsessed with blondes He, you know his main actresses were blondes we know that he favored them in real life and in his personal life as well as the actresses that he worked with so i think i think it's probably just Maybe that. playing into that kind of hitchcockian
1: but yeah like he probably would have perceived them as difficult when they didn't do what he wanted yes yes so yeah no i think you're onto something there actually yeah
2: and i think it's another key difference between you know you've spoken about the the troubles and I, i'm sure you will go into depth on what scorsese's were but i think into the Night* is kind of a a papering over a glossing over the troubles like Almost like I'm making this film with my mates and it's making me feel better, which is okay. Whereas I think After Hours is more about processing the problems and he's processing them by putting this character who he could, you know, you could call a cipher for Scorsese at this point through these tribulations, is how he felt going through these tribulations in his career at this point. And I think that's the difference. And I think that's why there feels like there's more depth to this than there is to Into the Night.
1: No, I agree. I agree. I think. I think you're right. I think you're spot on. I think it is for Landis. It's a fun thing. It's a you know, it's, mm. oh, we're going to do it. It's going to be a laugh. Um, but then, like, yeah, there's not much other than this is an entertaining film. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, no, I I really liked After Hours. I like the cast, um, and I remember the scenarios better than I remember them in Into the Night. I know yeah, it's been too. it's technically been longer since I watched Into the Night, but. With after hours, I can still yeah. remember each scenario and, and I can I can relate to the certain things like uh when Catherine O'Hara is, is in he's trying to get the phone number for his friend. Yeah. And she's like, seven,
2: eight, nine, four, one. And and trying to she's <laughs> like fucking annoying. Oh. He deals with that better than I would have done. At that that moment yeah. he deals with it better than I would have done.
1: I would have, I would have fucking snapped.
2: I think, yeah, like, he lost it off, doesn't he? But he, he
1: kind of goes, "Oh, sh- oh shit, oh I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean that. Shouldn't, shouldn't,
2: and this is mind. getting towards the end of the night as well. So he's already had several like difficult <laughs> encounters at this point. Yeah,
1: and he's just trying to hold it in. He's just ra- trying to rein it in the entire night. Uh, and I love that that he is just getting more and more unkempt, and he's more and mm. more. And again, it, it, the. The kind of the the inner turmoil is spilling out of him, yes, now, kind of coming out, piling out. And then we get to the end where he's kind of he's just like, I just I just want someone to help me. You know, I just <laughs> I just I I look like a piece of, I look like shit, but I just want to I wanna go home. I want this. Can you look at he just wants someone to look after him or be kind to him, basically. He
2: yeah, he does, but I still think, you know, he is still ultimately using that woman in the bar, isn't he? And I think that's yeah, where we're absolutely. still supposed to be judging him for the fact that, oh, it's another yeah. Another vulnerable woman that he's going yeah. to try and use for his own—not necessarily here for sexual advances. So I think if she'd taken it there, he probably would have obliged. But he need, he needed something from her, and he expects her to be able to help him. So I agree. Yeah, uh, you, there is an element of you that has sympathy, but there's still that edge. Yeah,
1: you know, you know, he's still not necessarily a nice guy. Mm. You know, there's there's, uh, and again, it's the, the they don't go into it too much, but there's just moments where you're like. Oh no, uh, and oh yeah, maybe not. And and the way he yeah. treats and speaks to people. Again, you, I think you ep- you empathize you empathize with the situation, not yes. the character. yeah I think that's what it put. is.
2: Yeah, um, Griffin Dan is brilliant at playing it. Oh yeah, so good because he knows exactly where his character needs to be out in each scene, and he just plays it perfectly each time. To the point where you know, to, even in the initial encounters with Rosanna Arquette, and you're kind of like still on his side at that point. Like, What is she keeping secret from him? Why is she acting this way? But then the, when he comes back to the apartment and he finds we're going full spoiler, right? Yeah, go, go, go. He finds that she's committed suicide and taken pills and killed herself. Initially, he seems to care, but then his actions after that are really, like, you know, mm. putting signs up saying dead girl here or whatever it says, like dead body here and running off. And that's when I think the, the tables turn and we start to think about you can start retroactively thinking about some of the things he said and done earlier, as well as what he's about to go on and do. Yeah, I think he's excellent in the role, at mm. taking you on a journey with his character and chewing and froing between like whether you want him to succeed and get home or not.
1: And and then again, like later on, where we find out that um, I was going to say John Hurt. It's not John Hurt, is it? It's um, John John Hurt. John Hurt. There we go. Close enough. Close yeah. enough. Uh, John Hurt or
0: uh,
1: Mister McAllister. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who Mr. I I and like to, Mrs. McAllister. Yeah, course. Mr. and Mrs. McAllister yeah. meet for the very first time in this film, um, before they turn up in home alone. Yeah, maybe it's an origin be, story. Yeah, well, I mean I mean that's there. I guess that's their after hours, isn't it? When they just Yeah, right <laughs> horrible parents fucking up. Oh no. Um but yeah, so so yeah, when he reveals that Marcy was his, his girlfriend at the time because mm. she has a tattoo and and obviously you yeah. get focus on the tattoo and you get focus on his keychain, which is yeah, like a skull with a top hat. Um and then he finds out, and he's just like, he knows, he now knows. Mm. But he doesn't, again, and then he meets him later. It still doesn't show any fucking sympathy.
2: Yeah, He, absolutely. he just
1: knows if I tell him this, or if I reveal this, he's going to want to kill me. And, and I think there's a sense of, that he knows, and again there's there are some jumps in logic like how do people know it's him or you know when did this go up and how did he how did this work out and how do these people meet and talk and and you know how did the angry mob form all of a sudden there's there yeah. are holes but i guess that again that plays into that that again we were talking about the surreal nature of this mm. film um i think it kind of plays into that that you kind of it's a very small neighborhood anyway yeah like yeah i, I can i and i think a lot of people kind of interconnect you don't see it obviously but there is you know, there's there has the screen yeah. meetings of people. And, mm. Um, and then it goes from like 10 to 11 and, and, you know, it just escalates and escalates. One of my, one of my favorite moments in the, in the film is such a throwaway gag, but it's a throwaway gag that actually works was when, mm. um, He's on a fire escape and he's he's looking at this couple in this in the window, mm. this couple arguing, and then the, the wife shoots the husband dead and he's like, fucking hell. And he was like, they'll probably blame it on me as well. Yeah,
2: that's and great, I, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was I thought that was brilliant. And there's a couple of moments like that when he's in in their public toilets and he's going using the rhino and he's taking a piss and you get the the slow pan to the picture of the shark. Eating the guy's cough <laughs> nice. on the wall. It's like that castration idea of like yeah. it just is the 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 pan is just perfectly timed. There's a couple of little moments like that I think work really well.
1: I think that's a good thing to to mention about the the castration because it is about that that male that male desire that I'm just gonna go out into the night, I'm gonna have unsolicited sex, I'm never gonna call her again. I'm gonna get exactly what I want. This is I deserve this. I mm. this is I demand this i deserve this i this is what i want so me being a man i'm going to go out and get it someone's asking for it i'm i'm we're, i'm going to go and have sex with her because she wants me to and we're going to have a great night of sex um but then that the whole film is arguably about the the male castration like every every woman he meets he goes Oh fucking hell! This is this is not what I thought it was going to be. Or this is mm. this is a dangerous moment. And and this whole idea of him going out and he's being led by his penis. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And then the whole night is him, his penis tube is being cut down inch by inch, all the way through the night, and and him just going. And again, it is there is. I mean, it's it's talking about toxic masculinity before there was a phrase for it. I imagine, mm. um, in a sense. Um, and and again, like. It's not, it's a character, again, it's a situation we can relate to. And again, we'll put ourselves, we all put ourselves in dangerous situations on nights out. We do things we shouldn't probably do, but at the time we think of the right things or the right thing at that time, or the best mm. thing at that time. Um and again, you can go back throughout your entire life and regret or say, I could have handled that better or done this, or maybe I should have done that, or been a bit kinder, a bit more sensitive. Um, but it happens. And and I again I think it's the it's very much and i think you know we've all had situations like this and we've all probably reacted or reacted worse than uh, mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. Uh, the character does in this um but yeah it's really fascinating um just delve into the dark side of of the urban jungle Mm. um that these the, you know an ineffectual uh, supposedly ineffectual man finds himself and and becomes and but he does try to do good things as well i think that's quite clever because i think if he was just being selfish and just constantly trying to get home which he is anyway but mm. there are moments where he he goes oh they've stolen that sculpture let me get him yeah 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 or oh they've tied her up i've got to go help her mm-hmm so there are moments where he's being genuinely a nice guy and doing good things. Yes. And I, th- and I think those moments are there because I think if they weren't, you just wouldn't give a fuck about the character. Like You would just yeah, be
2: like, that's fair. he deserves all of this. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't think he's ever truly like malicious and hurtful. No. He's just selfish and thoughtless. And it's, mm. as you said before, I, I thought it was going to go this way and it's not. So now I'm annoyed. So yeah, I think he he's not an abhorrent character in any way. No. And there are some little moments where like he's
1: maybe maybe apathetic is a better word, maybe. He just doesn't care or indifferent, maybe.
2: Yeah. I think it's just you know, you know, I don't want to just repeat what you've already said or like you know, ideas we've discussed, but it is just that sense of, you know, this is what I wanted from this encounter or this moment or this part of the night, and I've not got it. So forget it, then I'm off. Like you know, you're not giving me what I want, and and I think that is that is a selfish attitude that a lot of young and we I think just young generally it doesn't need to be men, not no, no, young no. people have because they want that that's the time of life they're in. Mm. But I think also the fact that he comes from this kind of businessy Wall Street seeming background clearly is another layer to the to the critique of what Scorsese is doing. I think there is the want of a better phrase i'm not a massive i'll be honest i think it's overused The kind of toxic masculinity i think it can be thrown around a bit too too easily i think it does apply here before before it was a thing i agree but i think there is that layer but there's also that layer of kind of the the yuppie businessman as you said it before do you call it the yuppie nightmare cycle
1: yeah yuppie nightmare cycle so things like uh films definitely here too oh yeah yeah. films like um something wild or blind date with Mm -hmm. bruce willis and Mm -hmm. a few of the few of the films that are kind of like Oh, I met a beautiful woman. This is exactly what I want. No, it isn't. Um, and yeah. that's where the kind of comedy ensues. Like the they're, they're an out of control woman, and I'm a sensible businessman. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's that that kind of thing where it's kind of that. But this, I'd say, these films are arguably a bit darker than those. Like the at the edge yeah. of the darker, uh, more serious side. Again, the more noir side of of those type of type of films. But I'd say they're in there. I'd say they're
2: part in there. of this. If I understand rightly, and I know you're good with your trivia. I'm sure you're going to come to it later. Part of this was stolen, wasn't it, from a radio drama. I guess unwittingly so on Scorsese's behalf, because he didn't write it. He mm. he directed it as somebody else's script. But by the guy that went on to write Vampire's Kiss?
1: Maybe. I, th- I, th- I think, think so. I think yeah. the
2: guy who wrote the radio drama, who sued successfully sued mm. the makers of this film, I think it's the first third, isn't it? It's essentially his yeah. radio drama that he did. I think it's the same guy that went on to write Vampire's Kiss, which, of course, is another... From this kind of yuppie, it must be another yuppie yeah. nightmare. Yeah, yeah um, Cycle. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. That's a, that's a whole other that's a whole podcast <laughs> and a whole sure. other film entirely. I, I think you watched that after we did our uh, draft of the top five, didn't we? I did.
2: Yeah. Actually, another brilliant film that I, I I'd rather watch that again than I would American Psycho. Oh, there you go. There I you think go. Vampire's Kiss got more. It's got more going on than American Psycho has. Uh,
1: I I. You know what? I, I might agree with you there. Might <laughs> there.
2: I do that's need to re. Okay, so
1: yeah, that's that's already a win. That's a five yeah. out of five film. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, you are you are right. It was uh, written by a student who apparently had some similar experience or something. But most of the stuff from that that monologue, that sketch, that mm. you know, whatever you want to call it, um, did end up in the in the film. So the cream cheese bagel paperweights. Uh, Paul calling Marcy that night by the paperweights. Paul losing the cab fare. Um, mm. Marcy being raped by a former boyfriend who came down the fire escape. She falls asleep during the rape. Uh, Marcy being married to a man who works overseas. She writes to every day um, talks about the sexual quirk and the <laughs> surrender, Dorothy. Mm. Uh, that's, that's kind of a become br- a meme. A good moment. Yeah, yeah. That's become a meme that, and people just replace whatever the weird thing is that he says. Okay, all right. Um and yeah, uh, and then yeah, like you said, filed for a successful lawsuit and uh, got some money. But yeah, I, I, that was I before. Mean,
2: I mean, rightly so, because that is not subtle. Because that, do you know what I mean, that is word for word what happens at the start of this movie.
1: It's a good third of the film, at least.
2: Yeah, like, It's quite that. slow to begin with. To be fair, they kind of mm. build up to Marcy and her being the kickoff of because it's when he chooses to leave, isn't it? It's when things kick off because he goes out into into the night. Mm-hmm. Um, to get his to make his way home, and then he can't get home on the train, can he? Because the fares have gone up, and it starts pissing down with the rain, and he goes in the bar and starts meeting the other people before he goes back to Marcy's and finds that she's killed herself. So again, there's you know, if he just stayed there in the apartment and not been such a dick because of the weird things she told him, in the real stories, then this would have gone a very different way. But then but then I
1: part of me thinks that he was right to leave after like I probably would have left before again yeah. all those red all those red flags, but yeah. still I think in some ways he had to get
2: out of that situation. I cause... mean he'd already tried it on with a housemate, hadn't he? Oh, I'll give you a massage. Yeah, that's perfectly normal.
1: Yeah. I, I did I did like I did like like you were saying, Rosanna Arquette was really good because you never un- completely unpredictable. Mm. Um and I, I've had, again, I've had situations like that or nights like that where, you know, you meet somebody and it's totally not what you thought it was going to be and they're not the person you thought they were. Mm. Um, but yeah, and but then neither was I probably. I was you know, presenting something they thought they wanted or thought I was, but there you are, there you are.
2: But yeah, I... um it, it, I did read a funny review that talked about, you know, the crutch of, of money, but the fact that, as you said, in the cab ride mm. over, his $20 bill flies out the window, doesn't it? Mm. Not sure why he puts it down in that little money holder, but yeah,
0: it's that was a like that was ash, a
2: stupid ashtray move. or something. yeah, and it flies away, doesn't it? But it is funny to watch it now. and thinking like, or oh, use your card, or go to a cash point, or like, mm. well, of course, these things weren't around then. So he literally stuck with what is it about ninety cents or something he's got something in his pocket. Right, yeah, I would
1: I would have probably gone out with more money though. I'm not sure how much. Like he's he's paid he's guessing, all, his entire cab fare. I did read these twenty dollars. Is- Probably goes quite far, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess maybe. But I I read that it would. Have t- I read on IMDb it would have taken him almost two hours to walk home.
2: Right. Okay. So, the, so, so like the length of the movie, basically, if he just, yeah, if he just much. decided to just call it a night and just walk home, he would have been all right.
1: It'd be a very boring movie, I'll tell you that.
2: True. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which which it isn't.
1: Thankful. No. Luckily, um, Tim Burton. Speaking of people who were originally going to be involved, Tim Burton was approached mm. to direct originally.
2: Well, thank goodness he didn't. i'd I'd have been gothic Ooh, towers Ooh, people with dark makeup (laughs) i would have been interested to see
1: what what he would have done with it uh i don't think it would have been as Mm -hmm. good but i would have been interested to see his urban jungle nightmare thing um what he would have brought to it Uh, speaking of other directors though one of the hardest things for scorsese to figure out was the ending um he, yeah, They, yeah, yeah, yeah. they yeah. couldn't agree on an ending. Nobody found the right way to end it. Um, so he spoke to Brian De Palma, Terry Gilliam, uh, Steven Spielberg, who suggested the angry mob and the paper mache statue at the end, him being trapped it's in that. So good, so weird. It's so bizarre. And the light, like, and it when it works somehow bizarrely, it does. Yeah. Um. Uh, but it was it was Peeping Tom director Michael Powell. Who suggested the ending for the film? So spoilers for the ending: one, two, three. That he ends up back at the office at the start of a new day.
0: Mm.
2: But it's it, yeah, it's it's brilliant. But it's a scenario, isn't it? So just before that, as you said, there's the angry mob chasing him, and he goes, he gets handed a fly, doesn't he, which gets him like access to a bar. It looks like a vampire night or something. Is it? Did it say on it? It's, it's weird. <laughs> I and then it's not at all. It's just one lonely little lady sitting in the corner. God, sorry. Is that the
1: same bar? That it's the same bar he goes to earlier, where it's just full of people.
2: Yeah, I think. Was it, yeah, I, I thought what? it was as well, but then yeah. I don't know. It's I'm sure it's odd, the same
1: because he hands it to the same bouncer. I'm uh, sure. Okay,
2: that he has the conversation with earlier. but,
1: but then it's completely empty. It's bizarre.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then this, he has a he has like a slow dance with this lady. He doesn't he? Doesn't And then she takes him down to her apartment, which is beneath the bar. And as the angry mob come in, as you said, she starts like, oh, "I've got." He runs away and pulls a chain, which pulls a bucket full of paper mache on his head. Why it's kept up it there, I don't know. But um, so she starts to turn him into a, a paper mache statue, doesn't she? Which matches exactly the statue which was in the artist's and Marcy's apartment from earlier. So it is a really weird. Like, it's mm. a real moment. And you just get this great shot of his eyes behind the and his mouth, isn't it? Through the gaps behind the paper mache. So I'm like, why are you doing this to me? Let me out. Yeah. It's like d- she's going to keep him there forever.
1: Yeah. I, do, I just didn't. I don't know Until- why. I don't know why you just didn't take him back to Marcy's place and have Linda, Fury, and know do it. The fact that two people in Soho are making paper mache
2: statues just seems odd. Wow are there two people or is that oh. that woman's statue that you know, she maybe she's ripping her off or i don't know yeah that's a fair point could be yeah, i didn't think about that because mm. she's because the the cheech and chong who are the who are the actual robbers who who this mob starts to believe uh griffin dunn is mm. they have been seen earlier with kiki's statue haven't they People, the statue and she says oh i sold it to them don't worry but then it turns out they are actually the robbers after all. So it's all very like mm. perplexing, confusing. Like who's telling the truth and who's not. And but I, th- I think what I wanted to say was that that moment he's back at the office is so good because he's covered in dust, isn't he? And like the the papier mâché paint, and he's just so dishevelled at this point. I was I, I sent you a video
1: earlier, and there's a it's a, a film critic on YouTube, and he he was looking into um, I think he did a he did a video on Three O'clock High, which is like a teenage version of of this apparently, or inspired, mm-hmm. sort of inspired by After Hours, and he he noticed that this this weird cut happens mm. in long shot. So we have this. Uh, he goes into his office. He sits down. His computer says, "Good morning, um, Paul." Is it Paul? Paul. Yeah. All is and yeah um it says good morning paul and then we start hearing the the beethoven i think plays and the the camera swings around the entire office yeah brilliant shot everyone's starting work and everything and then it spins around twice and paul's gone when we when we cycle around again and then when we cycle we cycle into another part of the office and then there's a very odd cut that happens
2: during like the jump cut yeah
1: yeah like a jump cut but it's 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 intentional Mm-hmm. Uh, matches the music, everything's there. but a person in a black coat comes out. So this person, this uh, YouTube critic, I can't remember the name, but it's it's on YouTube. maybe I'll link it in the show notes if I remember. and he basically theorizes this long long man in the long black coat is death mm. who who is who Paul is narrowly avoided throughout the entire film come to claim him, but Paul is already gone. so mm. he's he's just missed him again. Um, I'm not sure if I, if I buy that one myself, but it's an, it's certainly a theory, another theory that we can,
2: it's, yeah, I'm not sure I do either. I agree. It's very deliberate. It's very deliberate. And actually, um, those kind of jump cuts are purposely jarring. They're meant to take you out of the, the movie, you know, from the French new wave. That's, that was the idea was it's meant to like remind you that you're watching a film. So there's no way that it's in there by accident. And thinking about you know what Scorsese has been going through himself with the cancellation of *Last Temptation of Christ* and yes. the failure of *King of Comedy*, and you know we could probably sit here and speculate about all the different things it could possibly be, and none of them, I guess, would necessarily match up to to none of them would be good enough. I think I like the open endedness of it and the fact that this this weird cut is there and it means something to Scorsese, and I don't think there's anything out there about it, like officially.
1: No, I think because I, uh, I, I remember it popping up on YouTube, and I was like, I was like, I swear there was something about some guy or something, a, a YouTube video about it. So I, I looked mm. into it again, and I found it, and that's where this came up. And I was like, it's interesting to think about it. again, yeah. like the like the theory of that they both take place on the same night. Mm. You know, do that with that. What you will believe it, don't believe it, whatever.
2: And when it's, it's played in like, slow mo, it is creepy. It is really mm. creepy watching it. It's because the guy looks really tall and thin, doesn't he? It makes me think of like, is it Vincent Schiavelli? Oh he yeah, was yeah, always yeah. playing these kind of like sinister, like tall, overbearing characters. It almost feels like that's him and that would be him if you were casting it. True, um,
1: yeah, that's true. Like in Ghost, he's really good in Ghost. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm. I, I I what I like about the ending is that after this whole night, mm-hmm. we start the film, he's like bored, he's uninterested, his his fucking apartment is just beige on beige on beige. Mm. Um, it's dull it's boring he wants some excitement he's dying for a change he's dying for some excitement to go out and to, again, literally yeah. yeah yeah quite literally and he, he meets a beautiful woman he goes yes i'm taking a chance i'm gonna call i'm so glad i called goes out and, and then the actual ending is he's like oh thank god i'm back in my mundane office job thank god i can live a normal life again yeah thank god you know i have some you know structure to my life after
2: all this chaos um and interesting. I didn't I, read it that way at all.
1: Yeah, that's that's how I read it. That, yeah, but but that maybe maybe this this person in the dark coat is another one of those knights.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. I that thought it isn't like the endless cycle you can't escape. That even when you've yeah, had a sure. mad night, you've got to return to the shit, boring, mundane stuff that you don't yeah. really want to do. It gave me that kind of Fight Cluby, you know, everything's yeah, sure. a copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah.
1: But you see him smile as he opens the computer. And he's like, oh, "I'm in my element. I know the rules. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing," as much as I hate it.
2: Unless this- it's a wry smile of like, "Oh no, I'm back here." But I think that's the beat of it, right? Mm. You and I can watch this and we can have a different reading. And neither of us are right. Neither of us are wrong. I think it's totally open in how we've chosen to to interpret that. I think that's great.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And that, and that's why I like it. I, I think it's and it kind of it caught, caught me off guard because I was like, "How does this end?" Mm. Um, and you know, some people have theorized that he's already dead as well. Like yeah. before, before he even gets to uh, before he even gets to the 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 office, he's already dead. Like whenever that that may be. Like some people have said, oh, it's when he comes off the back of uh, Cheech and Chong's van, um, or maybe before that. You know, you could you could theorize. It's one of those films that you could decipher for years and yeah. pull apart and and just inspects every little moment and people will people will once they know this exists mm. uh which I'm I'm glad I was able to kind of put a spotlight on it cuz I think it is very very good um but yeah I I think uh it's it's definitely if you're a Scorsese fan if you're a film fan um if you're a fan of films set in New York I'd say it's good mm. or, or any any of those kind of dark weird um cuz we're going to we have got to talk about the music I think the music is fantastic
2: Agreed, yeah. I mean, Scorsese movies tend to be soundtracked really Mm. well, yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah, he's obviously obsessed with the stones, but not just that, he you know, he soundtracks his movies. But uh, you said Howard Shaw, wasn't it? The score for this is really helps to set that kind of surreal, ethereal, dark fairy tale, yeah. It's really strong,
1: you're always on edge, it's always like. Mm. And it's it, it's almost like a, a horror film. It's
2: scored oh, like a like a yeah. horror film, and I and think shot it, at times. Oh yeah, Sorry. yeah. yeah. So uh, you're about I, to say, it. I apologize?
1: No, it's okay. It's, no, no, you're absolutely right. Um, but yeah, and I think that that's what adds to it as well. Like it is a horror film. It <laughs> is it is scary. It is intense. But it's it's on a more realistic level where, mm-hmm. like like this is as is like I said earlier, I've had nights not un, not dissimilar to mm-hmm. the after hours, so it could happen. And it's it's a it's a realistic horror. It's a realistic threat that could occur. You could piss off a group of people, and they could beat you to death Mm -hmm. quite quite easily. Could happen. I mean, I'd I'd probably do it on a daily basis. You never know. (laughs) Um, I might have done. Uh, I might have just narrowly avoided death every day of my life. But but yeah, it's it's those kids' parties. (laughs) (laughs) You were just
2: a Spider Man then, right? So you of course
1: they Well, I mean, I mean, my God, how many times I had to buy a cup. So many times I got, <laughs> got punched in the bollocks that many times. I did have to buy a cup. Like, I don't even know if I could have kids. We were talking about dad bods earlier. I don't know if I can even have kids at this point. Uh, not that I'm that interested in that but at the moment, but there you are. Um, but, yeah, a fantastic film. Um, another connection mm. uh, between the two films is Verna um, Bloom and Griffin Dunn. So Verna Bloom is the lady at the end. Mm-hmm. Are, are both John Landis regulars, so... Mm. Uh, werewolf in london uh, amazon women on the moon and animal house
2: i don't think i've really i don't know if i've seen griffin done in anything i mean maybe i have but smaller roles obviously i knew he was in american wealth and then watching this that that's all i really had in my head as i was watching it he may be somebody i have to investigate if he yeah. you know because maybe he's quite underrated himself as an actor as well
1: I think so. I think initially he was more of a producer, I believe. Right. Okay. Um, But then moved into acting. But so maybe he just went back to producing. I'm pretty sure I've seen him in something where he plays an older gentleman, Mm. uh, like a writer or something. I I feel like it's like a Ryan Reynolds romantic comedy or something, but I could be wrong.
2: Maybe I won't won't watch that one. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: So uh, so yeah, there was. I don't know what else. What else did I want to mention? Oh, one of the film ideas, this is, speaking of surreal, one of the endings that was proposed mm. uh, was that Paul would, would crawl inside um, oh, yeah. <laughs> June's womb at the end, the lady who papier-mâchés him, to hide from the angry mob, and then he's given birth back at the office. I think that would have been too much. Agreed.
2: I mean, too much. I'd quite like to see it as an alternative ending, to see how they would have done that. In nineteen eighty-four, but um nineteen eighty-five. But yeah, I think the ending we get is surreal enough, but just the right edge of it. And 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 the full circle nature of the narrative is really important, but I don't think it needs to be birthed to do no, that.
1: No, I think I think you've done you've hit us over the head with all with the his relationships with the women and and the I, I love Terry Garr as the as the waitress as well. Yeah. I, thought she, I thought she was fantastic. Um really, really good. I think I think all the actresses in this are really good. Like I think every yeah. one of them absolutely yeah. nailed the role that they're given. Um, and you know, they're, they're all and he's you know, he's nice to spy to them. And then they're like, I can't believe you're treating me like this. It's like, what do you want about? you crazy. Um, and all this sort of stuff. I, I I think they're all they're all great. Um I would like I would have liked a bit more Linda Fury and T- Tina in it. I think there was. I, bet you I, I did, I did. I bet you um, saw quite a bit of her. And and she was and she was in bondage as well. She was like, how yeah. did they, they were like, how did they tie you up like this? And how did you, you know, all uh, 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 oh, it's right, quite intricate these knots and things. Mm-hmm. And, and then, um, what's his face walks out.
2: Um, is it Will, Will Patton? Will Patton's the actress, isn't he? He's called like, it's called like Horst. Hector. Horst. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Horst. Yeah, yeah. Because I thought um, actually you're right, because I thought they were saying like like horse, you know, like they say in yeah. the cowboy movies. Hey there, horse. Hoss, Yeah. No. No. It's Very like, much ho- not that. Horst. Much more like an Eastern European mm. SM type it's, guy.
1: Well, I was going to say there was quite a lot of kind of, you know, subculture stuff in this. Like there's mm, a lot of, ga- lot of gay characters, uh, quite yeah. a few, there at least three gay characters, which is unusual for an 80s film. And and again, and he's kind of a bit SME, kind of BDSM, kind of into that sort of stuff. And I love that he's like, that's a very insensitive of you, Paul. Very mm, yeah, what yeah you sure. He's yeah. like, yeah. I guess it
2: was. Um, I'm guessing the New York scene probably was quite, you know, mid '80s. It's it's probably representative of what was, as you were seeing going on.
1: I I imagine. I imagine so. But I think it's unusual to see a lot in a lot of films. I think there Mm. are maybe some films. I think Cruising is one, but apparently that's quite offensive to um, people in the LGBTQ community. I've not seen the film, so I can't say. But I've, 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 I've heard some things about. That's
2: freaking, isn't it?
1: Um yeah, it's a freaking freaking
2: yeah. in French connection, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's the one. That's him and, and Pacino as well. Um, mm. and he go he goes undercover as a gay man and he, he starts turning gay. Oh no, <laughs> terrible, awful. It's not not quite the not quite the undercover film I'm used to, I don't think. But sure. there you are. There you are. But yeah, um anything else you would like to say
2: about um after hours? No. not 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 that I'm, I think. We're going to talk about it in the categories anyway. Sure, 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 sure.
1: No, absolutely right. Okay, so let's do it. Let's get mm. into the comparison. So you know the categories as well as I do, my friend. So it is writing, acting, music, cinematography, and direction. And if we need it, I've got some tiebreakers as well.
2: Cool. So let's let's go for it. Which movie is better written? Wow, isn't that interesting? Because it, it definitely is after hours. Because I think probably the improvisational stuff was going on on into the night and after hours has that depth but do we have to knock it for the fact that you know there's a bit of plagiarism going on
1: Mm, that's good that's a good question um into the night is original to say that but yeah i don't like i think you're right when you say there's a lot more going on like Mm. if you we're talking about after hours again it's it sounds like it's a stand-up comedy story it's a Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. it's a you know the kind of you know the act of the act of telling a story that's you know it's an anecdote isn't it it's effectively an anecdote um that someone's gone oh that was a funny anecdote let me add that to the script and then i think you're right where you're saying that scorsese took that initial jumping off point Mm -hmm. i think after that it gets really interesting yeah like that's when it when we go down when well is that symbolic Opening of the the door and getting the keys, like there's a huge focus on dropping those
2: massive heavy yeah, keys. Yeah, and it pushes him back into the road, doesn't it? Exactly, he goes. He's away oh, okay. from to run over. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. There's definitely and there's a big focus on that, and there's a big focus on that later. Like he's gonna he's re-entering the house to mm. to up the ante. It's gonna yeah it's gonna, yeah he's gone back in there, and it's now it's gonna fucking really ramp up a gear. Um, yeah. and that and that I think that's really interesting as well. But I think you're right when you say scorsese is again putting a lot of himself and what he's going through mm. and and he's taking what is a humorous anecdote and elevating it into yeah an excellent film
2: yeah yeah i think there's there's writing depth and i think there's directorial depth to to after hours that probably isn't there for into the night so i think writing i would you yeah, know despite the the caveat that it's not okay to do other people's work
1: no sure sure not but again that's Uh, he was a student in fact I know the screenwriter was a student so it's probably a young little dickhead Um, but again the concept the idea itself was enough for a a springboard to give Scorsese license Mm -hmm. to do stuff and again I think he probably felt quite free at this point because there's no pressure it's very low budget um, so he could play and and have fun and do something so uh, there is that
2: it almost has like a guerrilla sense to to it doesn't it like Mm -hmm. it's that kind of on the streets, ca- capturing things where they can. It definitely has that feel to it. Yeah.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, the I like Into the Night, but I said again, like, uh, there's a lot they could have cut down um, this kind of yeah. Iranian, Iranian mob boss thing and how they get rid of the diamonds. And I, I think you are right. It does feel a little bit more improvisational or like, oh, let's come up with something on the day or we'll figure mm. it out or we'll do this. But in some ways, I think it's overly complicated. Mm mm-hmm, Mm hmm. But not, but it doesn't add anything. Yeah. You know, in a way, those noirish elements. Again, I don't mind like complex twists and turns and stuff, but yeah, I, I think I think it has to be after hours for writing. I think. All right. Fair. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next up, acting.
2: Mm. Now that is harder because the central pairing and in into night of Goldblum and Pfeiffer are both excellent at what they're doing, and I think they have good chemistry actually. And then if you call them a central pairing of Griffin Dunn and Roseanne Arquette, I mean, she's not in the movie as much, obviously. So I think that's fairly even. Mm. I, I think Pfeiffer is the standout of anybody in each of these two movies, as good as Griffin Dunn is in *After Hours* sure. as well. But I think it just comes down to something we spoke about before in that, although it's fun having a lot of cameos, they're not actors. So actually, you know, even though we recognise John Heard as Mr. McAllister and recognise oh bloody um what's his name that's uh, cameos and everything. Dick, dick, dick. Um oh,
1: Dick Miller. Dick Miller. Dick
2: Miller. You know, like, oh there's Dick Miller, he turns up and everything. But they all are actors and they all bring something into their roles. Um, yeah, like Linda Fiorentino's is exit, isn't she? You said mm. that Terry Giles is really good. So I think Michelle Pfeiffer is probably the individual standout just over Griffin Dunn. But the quality of the acting overall, due to the fact that a lot of them aren't actors in Insta Night, I would give to after hours as well myself.
1: Mm. And I think you've got they've got a lot more to chew on as well in after True. hours. There's because most of them are kind of like, Oh, I'm here. Hello, I'm on the phone, yeah. you know, or I'm I'm dying. I'm, I'm in the hospital bed. Okay,
2: great. Um that said actually, the guy who plays it Jack, the guy that plays it Richard, Richard Farnsworth, who plays yes. Jack in Insta Night, he's excellent, actually. So that's yeah, he the was good he's like the sugar daddy for for michelle pfeiffer's diana isn't he but it turns out they actually have quite a nice relate a proper mm. emotional connection um i thought he was really good actually
1: no you're right he was he was he was really quite good considering like the the screen time and yeah, what, what they're talking about yeah mm. so uh and again it kind of it kind of simplifies the whole kind of plot as well it goes right Is I'm the exposition guy, but I'm doing it. He's doing it. He's doing it in the best possible way. Yeah, i will say that. But no, I think yeah, I think again we have to give. I have to give it to After Hours. Um, Jeff Goldblum is fine. Mm -hmm. Again, I I, again I don't think he's got as much to chew on. But again, the agency goes to Michelle Pfeiffer. She's great. Mm. Um, And yeah, and again, there's just a lot of kind of old old dudes, just (laughs) kind of just knocking about and
2: just going. I'm in a film. Or or people. Yeah, I mean like land is casting himself as like an iranian hitman and things like that just like okay all right like fun like a mute like a not a mute like a yeah you know, i don't think he has any dialogue does he
1: no i think i think so like he's has got scars or- he's got scar around on his face, so i think he can't speak basically he's a he's sure. a mute by you mean he can't do an accent probably or, <laughs> or he's going maybe these iranian stereotypes are, are offensive yeah, sure yeah maybe yeah. maybe yeah. i won't do a voice
2: yeah but no, so I th- yeah, I think you, you're saying, you know, like the depth there that actors are being given to work with just allows for a better performance overall.
1: Mm. And I think even even though they've got a short amount of screen time, they do something with it. I think mm. with the with the director cameos, they've got even shorter amount of screen time, but they've got even less
2: to do. Yes, that's true. Each character is memorable, aren't they? Even if you can't remember their names, you know, yeah. you feel like you know something about each character in After Hours. Yeah.
1: Yeah, she's got she's Terry has got a beehive, and she loves the the Beatles, and she does sketches. I remember all that. She's only in it for all of five minutes. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember every little detail about her. And Catherine Ahara, she's she's in it. She wants to bandage him up, but she drives a, a an ice cream truck, and that's <laughs> yeah. and that's all she talks about. And she, you know, and the the cab driver, you know, he turns up once, then we don't see him because he gives the money away. But then he comes back, he gets the money, and goes, "See how you like it." Yeah. <laughs> You know, but yeah, I, I yeah, I think it's after hours again. Um Okay, so that's two for two for after hours. Next up, music. So you want you had a lot to say about music earlier. So you want to get into this?
2: <laughs> I really hated the main riff and reprise all the way through into the night. Every time it came on, the, the opening song, I hated as well. Just like the, that, that film started, and I thought. Actually, it starts, isn't it, with like the sound of an aeroplane landing hmm. over a black, and I was like, Oh fucking hell, like this is really a jarring, horrible way to start. And then the song kicks in, and I was like, Oh, I don't like this at all. Um, and then the font was horrible, like this. Like, <laughs> so the start of insight was really, really bad, but everything got better from there. But I think the music was in my head from that point, and I think it's that main yeah. like riff of that first track we get at the start. I really couldn't stand it. Sorry, oh, but...
1: No, I, oh, I
2: really hated it.
1: I, I actually quite like the song. Been,
2: I'll
1: be honest. I mean, maybe maybe it's not, it's not for everybody. It's not for every. I, I've got a very odd taste in music. Somebody once said that I have a, and this is quite a few years ago now. They said I had a a forty year old woman female divorcee's taste in music. <laughs> okay.
2: Quite quite specific. Um, yeah, that is specific. Yeah. But and that, and that I've kind of lived with that ever since. It's a very. I imagine I'm in the minority here, but there was just something about that. I just. It felt like it was, ironically considering the film, like a kind of a song trying to be that type of song. It didn't feel like an organic. I'm not explaining that very well, but you know, like the art. Of, we spoke about the artifice before. Mm. It felt like you know, films before this had had a successful kind of bluesy romantic song. So we're going to do a version of that. Um, yeah, I, I didn't like it.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Like it's it's for you. Uh, I will say that BB King, he saw the film I think three times, mm. and then he started sitting there with Lucille, his guitar, okay. and started and started composing the song as he watched. So maybe maybe that's why. Because yeah, he's, he's already he's already seen it several times. You know, it's about, and again, he's adding the artifice on top of the artifice. Yeah, um, sure, maybe there's something there. I think I think he's a good. Uh, I think he makes excellent music I, sure. I i like the song the score is based on the song yes as well which is so i was maybe, done from that point yeah so which is maybe a weakness and they do they do return to it like every every bit they return to it too much way too over
2: much. and over and over
1: over, and over every time they're driving and they're turning a corner yeah. it's like <laughs> um and it's just like yep yeah no. Yeah, know that. so there is an over dependence on that song which i quite like so or, or the you know the ideas behind it apparently i think the i think the composer was iranian as well so there's a bit of like electronic iranian sound in there somewhere mm-hmm. um but yeah i am I'm, I'm with you I, I though i like the song i think there's an over dependence on the song mm-hmm. and it's used far too much and and other than the song i can't remember any no. of the soundtrack or any of the other stuff. I know, I know they did. I think it's into the. They do a version of in, "Into the Midnight Hour" in the Midnight Hour as well, and mm. and there's I think there's another track about Lucille Seal and some other stuff. It's basically just a BB King, you know, yeah, Hall of like, Greatest Hits. Um, and again, well, like, mm. okay, maybe not great hits, but. <laughs> It's a B.B. King spotlight for people yes, who didn't yeah, know yeah. who B.B. Yeah. King was. It's, the, it's, it's Blues Brothers again, isn't it? It's like taking mm. an old artist and going, hey, young people, this is pretty fucking good. Have yeah. a look. At, it's, you know, snack on this, um, you know, and, and fair enough. Blues Brothers was the best-selling <laughs> blues album of all time. You know, you've got to give it that. Yeah. So that did a job. So I don't know if maybe B.B. King got a bit more, like, you know paid for a few oh, more that's sandwiches. true
2: good I that's so true.
1: <laughs> even if you don't like it maybe somebody something good happened probably for bb king no i like no. him well enough i just don't like that song it's fair enough i will agree with you that after hours has a better score absolutely because yeah. uh, exactly what we were saying before it ramps up all of those feelings that the character is having the situations the the you know the paranoia the uncertainty the the tension it's mm. all magnified by that wonderful wonderful score and it and yeah. every time i hear it i was like oh, fucking hell i don't feel yeah, this is. Sure. it's all wrong it doesn't feel right and and that's how the film wants you to feel so it's mm it's far more effective than into night.
2: into the night goes we've got a good song want to hear it again bow, 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 bow. um yeah and also of course because he gets into these different scrapes isn't it you know when he goes to the club and you get the music matches the scenes and mm-hmm. they the Beethoven that's used at the start and the end is like just perfectly in keeping with what he's trying to do and with the camera movements actually and you uh, from that video that you sent me he even like checks it down to the cuts on the beats and stuff doesn't he so yes. Yeah sorry and tonight I mean for me it's it's after hours I mean I know you're a, you like the bb king tracks i don't know if that changes your mind or not No
1: i'm with you i'm with i agree I, I, as much as i like the track i have i have to agree it's it's after hours again definitely mm. um now this will this will be an interesting one cinematography
2: mm. i mean again it's not even close for me
1: really okay
2: no i think After Hours is made by a director who is a master of his craft and who masters kind of every element of it. So I know like quite famously that keys shot of it Mm. being dropped down, like the, the point of view of the keys falling down was something they had to work really hard to capture. But then you've got, you know, this spinning single take in the, in the office at the start and end of the movie. Mm. I think After Hours looks like polished. It looks Mm. like a filmmaker. Whereas, um Internight looks much more kind of amateur, is too harsh, but it, it's it lacks a kind of prof- the professionality for me that mm. After Hours has. It lacks the polish. Is it? I can just come back to that word. Mm. So, I think for me, again, it, it's not although what Landis does matches the tone he's going for, mm. which oh, After Hours does for Scotty as well. I guess maybe my leanings are much more in that direction and I want to watch. Okay.
1: But maybe maybe that's the point. Maybe it's supposed to look like we were talking about the artifice and the artificial nature and mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. everything is fake. I do think the lighting is quite maybe overexposed, I think, a lot of the time. But then maybe he's trying to make a point there with yeah. the way the way that – everything is quite fake and again he's hammering home that point with the the pratfalls and things like that so maybe he's maybe he's trying to say you know this is this is hollywood it's weird it's dangerous it's unusual it's full of bizarre people and situations Mm -hmm. but it is ultimately a heightened form of reality maybe
2: Mm. i mean it's just you know when i think of i've only seen animal house once and a long time ago but when i think of like blues brothers and not American Wolves, to be fair, that's no. the one which it stands out. But they do have a almost kind of I don't know what the right word is because amateur is too strong. But they have almost that kind of like I don't know I can't I can't find the words. Mm. Just pretend I'm not an English teacher. Um, there's there's just something more professional about what Scorsese does, and I think it's it's a trait of Landis's. I think it's just that's the way he makes films, and sure. um, that that just have that lack of polish to them. And that's just his style, and that's okay.
0: Yeah,
1: kind of a rough and ready type, you know. Yeah, it, it's not necessarily a, a like you like you said, polished. Polished is good, but sometimes you don't necessarily want polish. Sometimes mm-hmm. you you want something that is a, is a little rougher around the edges, and and you know, flaws are good. Flaws are good to have in film, in arts, and and you know, it gives it character and something unique. And again, Into the Night is not by any stretch a bad film. No, 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 no. Like mean, any stretch. No. Like, but saying that, I think I think I have to give it to you. It, I like
2: Me as, he, like, like I directed after us. Yeah, right? you did it. I you will did it. take Great that job. credit. Yeah. Great yeah. job. That was all you. <laughs> it
1: was all you. That's your that's your you know, you're, you're known as Scorsese sometimes. You're the Scorsese of podcasts. That's what I saying. That's what I say. <laughs> nice. Think. Um so no, I have to I have to agree with you on your on your point because I think I've seen LA in so many films and shot mm. in so many different ways um, and presented in so many different ways. Like this is a very unique version mm. of LA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, it is very much a character unto itself in the film. But I don't, and I think that that's maybe the problem is that I don't believe it. And again, it sure. goes back to that artifice is that I don't know if this LA is a real LA or if it's a, mm. and again, it's it's that, that tonal shift as well those two the screwball and the noir coming together i don't think landis manages to ever really put his finger right on it Mm -hmm. like like get the balance just right like we said like the the shift where he goes from all the wacky iranians to the people that are dead and you know and Mm -hmm. bowie's got jennifer uh jennifer uh, michelle pfeiffer by the throat with a knife Mm. he's like don't say anything i think like it almost feels like it's just a hard hard left turn like the Mm. harshest of left turns where actually scorsese i think he finds that balance just right like it's never too dark where it's not kind of humorous but it's never too humorous where it's not kind of dark as well
2: i think i think that scene you're referencing there the, the scene in the hotel room with um Bowery and Pfeiffer and then go golden. work walking around mm-hmm. is the only scene that stands out in night that feels like there's some conscious kind of deliberate cinema cinematograph yeah. choices going on mm-hmm. the way that the camera is moving the air, the way that the room is set up to give it that horror movie vibe. The rest of it is kind of like stick a camera here, do your thing, stick yeah. a camera here, do your thing. So I think in terms of that, that really conscious thought of what the camera is doing and how we're telling the story is much stronger in After Hours. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Oh, it's such a close race. I don't know. Who's oh, going to end. But I. But I, this happened. To, this has happened to us before. Like, um, it's no judgment on the films at no, all. They, absolutely. It's not like it's a one star film and a five star film. It's not like that at all. It's just in these categories. That's mm-hmm. how it's falling. Yeah
1: i know i know mike once asked me oh you should you should do you should do the clone balls which should change the categories and i'm like no they have to say the same so it's it's completely fair like sure. I, have yeah, to, yeah. I have to keep it unless it's a tiebreaker which you know just be a random category but i like oh
2: i see like depending on yeah. the film's the category yeah depending change. on yeah right. yeah
1: it would it would be like oh you do a um you know best fight scene or best this or like. and it and you know right. it's a fair it's a fair suggestion it's not a bad suggestion um but I think to to for it to be fair, completely fair every time, mm. it ha- we have to have that kind of stability in that set number of categories. Like I did Kickboxer and Bloodsport, which uh-huh. I, I've, I've not released yet, but you will have heard it before this one. But again, I didn't go, oh, Who's the best? Who has the, you know Van Damme's ass? Which which one looks better <laughs> yeah, yeah. Best in this bits. film? <laughs> yeah, best 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 buns. You know, yeah. I didn't best go montage. Okay, you could have done to be fair. I could have done. Yeah, that's true. Best split. Um yeah. best splits. Uh, but yeah, I I don't do that. I like to just stick with the same categories every time. Then people know what they're getting, and then we see what happens. So. Finally. I think we know which way we're going. Mm-hmm. But uh, who was the better director of Landis and Scorsese?
2: And I think you answered that in your previous comment about the cinematographer. I think the handling of the tone is the key difference here. And I think the fact, and we're, again, we're coming back to it, but the fact that Scorsese wanted to make a movie about something and about a transference of emotion from himself and about how he saw things in New York, and Landis wanted to make something fun to make himself feel better. We said there's nothing wrong with that. But I think therefore it just lends itself. But tone is the key thing. I think Scorsese nails the tone all the way through. You've used words like paranoia and um like the ramping of tension and anxiety. Whereas I think in, in tonight it's quite flat, other than when you have these weird absurdist moments that don't quite fit with everything else.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I have to agree again after after hours. Lean sweep. Yeah. Five out of five. Mm. Five stars. Um, yeah, excellent film. And I'm surprised people don't know more about it, haven't heard of it, um, considering how, you know, fucking mental people who are for Scorsese yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. loving Scott. they've even they're even making up films he never made um, <laughs> like, I, I don't know what i don't know what it was called but was some sort of russian film with de niro in they were like oh have you seen this and it's actually just a fake fucking film Oh, really okay <laughs> yeah some i can't remember I'll I'll try and find it I'll link it but people are like mm. oh yeah this is a hidden gem of scorsese no 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 this is an actual hidden gem from Scorsese. <laughs> watch this. Don't fucking make films up when you're like, oh yeah, this is really good and Oscar winning all this. It's like, no, 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 actually watch some of this shit. Like watch some of it. And this is yeah. genuinely a really good, fascinating, interesting, wonderfully shot film. I think if you like cinema, you like direction, mm-hmm. you like Scorsese, you're in for a treat. Um, again, I would watch Into the Night for a laugh, for you know. Oh yeah, for, yeah, 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 Give it, give it a go. I wouldn't say you know, make your own mind up. You might like Into the Night more than After Hours. It might be more your bag, but they're very, you know, very similar yet different films. Again, yeah, maybe not, might not be a to our taste. The Into Night in comparison, but again, not necessarily a bad movie by itself. But no, we have to,
2: we have to pick a winner. I, th- I think both have absolute merits, but I think I. That said, there is a there, you know, I well, know you don't do star ratings and all that, no. but I think there is a gulf between the two in terms of what they offer the film criticism. Hmm. So I think that that's maybe I think of it. You know, into night is a is a fun time. Have a have some mates around and watch it and have a bit of a laugh. Hmm. Whereas after hours is a like sit and watch and analyze. And I don't think we could have done like a full podcast just on into the night. No. Then we would have run out of steam and run out of things to say. Whereas I think we could probably talk for another this again just on After Hours and start breaking down the characters and certain moments and what it means and absolutely I think that's the difference.
1: And well, I'll say this as well. Like in my research, I found mm. much more on After Hours than I could find on Into the Night. Yeah,
2: makes sense.
0: Yeah,
1: not as many YouTube videos or articles about it or. It's uh, it's yeah, it's a clear win and a clear sweep, but I think it's well deserved because I think it is it is an excellent film. And again, it's very effective, does exactly what you would want it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I will rewatch it, maybe not too soon, but some some point in the future just to kind of yeah. see how I feel about it again and maybe see if I if I get a bit more humor out of it or or maybe maybe I'm like, oh, my God, I'm really depressed. <laughs> um, but yeah, who, who knows? Um, have
2: you seen Edgar Wright's um, Last Night in Soho? I've not, which is an absolutely wonderful movie. Mm. But obviously, you know, you, you brought this to my attention through that tweet that Edgar Wright sent. And um, after our alternative title was Night in Soho, wasn't it? So clearly, it has been a big inspiration upon him. Mm. I mean, again, I'd have to go back and watch it. I, I don't think they're close in terms of what they do, but he, you know, the fact that he's nearly taken the, the he's added a word onto a, a title shows how much this film obviously means to him. Mm,
1: mm. Well, maybe it's more of the aesthetic and the feel and the. Uh, again, I've not seen the film, so I don't know what it's like.
2: I mean, it has it has those noir elements to it, and it has that sense of mystery. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. She's got. Has she got a beehive in it. <laughs> um, parts of it are set in the sixties so they must have a beehive in it, because it's Anna Taylor-Joy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's got a be- some form of beehive. I don't know yeah, hairstyles.
1: Sure. I don't know hairstyles because I don't have hair, so there's no point me knowing them. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like it was quite an influential film, and it's influenced Definitely. quite a few people. I, again, I've not seen Ted Lasso, but these films apparently mm. influenced that episode. Um, I'm not sure which one it is, but uh, I, I will eventually get around to Ted Lasso, but,
2: but mm. just...
1: No, no, not right now. But I'll get there. I'll get there.
2: Eventually. The way I think of um, *Into the Night*, and you know, sorry to, I'm going to quote myself here from my sure, own lips. I don't know absolutely. if you've seen this one. Oh, is the is the sense that it's a good movie, but there was a chance for it to be great. And actually, it's the sort of movie that probably could do with a remake. Like you could remake *Into the Night* and make it into a great movie. I think if you took some elements away and you made it a bit more straight. And the sort of people I would I would think of, you know, Shane Black makes Screwball Noir. The Cohens make Screwball Noir. Uh, Soderbergh has made so. Do you know what I mean, like, imagine one of those people in charge of this story. They could do something really special with it. I think. And I'm not. I don't think Landis is that person. I think he has a wheelhouse and he can do that well. But I don't think he is a top tier talent. Whereas Scorsese is a top tier talent. And I think that again, that's a you couldn't make remake after Hours, I don't think. You no. could do an interpretation or a version where you could be inspired by it. I don't think you could remake it, whereas you absolutely could remake Instant Night. And I think you could make a truly wonderful movie with depth and layers that you could analyze. So well, if you listening to cool. Shane or Joel or Ethan or Stevie Boy, go for it
1: do it do it that's uh, that's uh that's our recommendation but yeah uh maybe maybe like a gender bent version maybe a, like a, a female protagonist maybe that would be interesting sure. to see and, and yeah. how they would handle this kind of thing you know mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know if there's a I don't know if there's I'm sure there's such a thing as toxic femininity, but uh, maybe there's maybe there's something to be said for that or, you know, it'd be interesting to see what that angle would be. But Mm. who knows? Who knows? But I'm sure there's probably a story like that out there. And we just haven't seen it, unfortunately. Mm. Um, But Jack, you are now. Oh, sorry. Before Mm. I let you go, I do have one listener comment. oh great okay so um so yeah because again these these films are fairly obscure says a Um, lot actually doesn't it you normally get quite a few that's interesting yeah but again i think it's also something a little outside what i usually cover as well which Mm -hmm. is a good thing you know i like my variety so uh and and also i you know i said you know do you like you know I, i always kind of say what do you think of these films if you don't like these films tell me something else give me a comment of some sort yeah um uh so uh, the only person that's got back to me is derek esoteric so not sure if you're aware of this jack but derek esoteric is my boss at work my big right okay Yeah, so he's the head honcho, and he is—he's uh, been listening to the podcast mm-hmm. uh, since I told him about to the Christmas party, and he has now put some music together
2: mm. inspired. I have not heard, but I have seen you talking
1: about it. I have, I have, yeah. So uh, I've been chatting about it on our Discord group and with various other people. I've been sharing the the uh, Spotify pre-save link, which mm-hmm. I will leave at the end of this podcast as well, and we're going to hear from the man himself at the end of the podcast. So, So he has said um, he's quite enjoying all the recommendations and a lot of the films that he's been reminded of. Uh, And he was reminded of After Hours. Uh, He says, After Hours is a classic, very dark, very funny.
2: Yeah. And I think that's because, that's as you said before, that's a man who's seen this film before. I think it would be much funnier on the second watch. Mm. I'm good at repeating your words back at you on these podcasts. <laughs>
1: I like it. Do it. Do it. Quote me. Put it, put
0: it, put it in the reviews.
2: Much, but I can, I can see that it would feel funny. Mm. Now you know what's coming. You know the outcome is not going to be horrendous or tragic or no. there's elements that I think you could laugh at. Mm.
1: Cause, yeah,
2: because you know where you're eventually going to end up.
1: And it's, yeah could be more fun. Um but yeah, absolutely. Um so thank you for that Derek. Um so again I'm going to I'm going to leave a link in the show notes and you are going to hear him he's going to do a little little teaser trailer at the end of the podcast. Nice. So yeah, so Jack, you are now slowly but surely making your way back to podcasting so I'm very grateful that you found the time to to come on and and talk some very good films. I'm not mm. I'm not just a, I'm not just a, I, I, I've been feeling like I'm, I I'm being categorized as the the uh, the master
2: of shit films. So, <laughs> everyone's like, in the corner talking about that film that nobody's ever going to bother watching.
1: Yeah, stop talking about Cannibal Holocaust, you fucking <laughs> weirdo. Um, I didn't want to do that Cannibal Holocaust. That was all Dennis. All right, so don't don't put it on me. Um, but uh I, I I like doing a good range of films. How do we know what's quality if we don't look mm. at shit as well? We need a we need a barometer for quality. So I have a good range of stuff. Variety is my spice of life. So I'm glad we covered some very, very good films uh today. And I'm glad people will be made aware of them. Um, but again, where are we with you and where can people find you? I believe you have your now a new brand new feed that is all your own and is all back to the filmography.
2: Correct, yeah. So I think the plan is for new episodes to launch at the end of June, which is, you know, I would have hit about six months by then since the last new episode, which was yourself and Andy looking at In the Name of the King. So that was way back at, uh, I think at the end of, November, right? November yeah. time was the last release. So I've been recording for a while, but in the buildups that year, I've been re-releasing all the old episodes, but because I want to, yeah, get, get the show back in the spotlight, get people talking about it again. But previously it was released through the Pop Grillers on their feed, which I was, I'm part of, but yeah, I think it's time for from 3 to step up and have its own feed in its own spotlight and, and be pushed to the, the forefront. So yeah, that is out there now. I'm trying to get it on as many sites as possible. I know you're really good at linking. So I'm sort of taking your advice on this as we go, I'm trying to get it on as many different catches as possible, but ostensibly starting from Spotify and moving out from there.
1: Good idea. Good idea. Um, yeah. I just, I, I've got, um, if you want to go on my webpage, all the links are on there to places I appear. Mm. If, I, if I've not done it manually, it's automatically gone to various places. And if there's a a link I can use that doesn't just take you to download the app, I'll put it on my website, but I can uh, I can send you some more links and stuff and mm, where to nice where to where to put them manually if you can't if it doesn't do it automatically. But most of them pull from from Apple Podcasts. So once you're on there, mm. you're pretty you're pretty much set. It's All the major ones. I've got some weird and wacky ones I've found in foreign countries where I'm like, am I on there? I'll put myself on there. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Uh, you know, just I mean, you know, I've still got my top listeners' ships either in Brazil or India still. So
2: yeah. It all helps. It all helps. What I need to do is some research into like where is the state mm. particularly popular. Like you know, what wh- where is his fan base? You know, is there a big Indian fan base? Is there a big Australian fan base? Who knows? So that's what mm. I need to do and make sure I'm I'm catching those people. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Well, uh, again, it's a wonderful podcast. I love I love the idea. I love the um your commitment to doing a whole filmography for an mm-hmm. actor and start with the state is a great way to start i've been on several of them i was on the first one um that is, out, that is out now on the new feed so go listen to that um and yeah and i am i'm, I'm gonna be on several more i don't know when's when's our transporter three is that
2: is that up soon is that the next it must one? be no i've got a few to go because okay you hit hit the brakes at episode 16 in the end mm. um He's now up to, 40, he, he will very soon be up to 43, because of course, okay. not sure when we're coming out, but Fast X is coming out at the end of May. Yes, yeah. So the Buster keeps adding films, and we've got the Meg 2 coming out as well. So I can't, you know, I cannot keep pacing, and he's just bringing out so many films. But yeah, War is is my next official new episode. Oh dear. <laughs> oh dear. So, oh dear. Yeah you're a couple down from there but not too far. I think cool. you're you're film 20 so mm-hmm. 17 is next so you're only a few down the list.
1: That's good. That's good. Well you've just heard from me technically you've just heard from me and Andy so you need a break. Absolutely. You need but yeah. then that was a that was a that was a titanic one uh, in so many ways that podcast uh, that I highly recommend. Time. Highly recommend that one. That was a blast. Uh the film is not don't watch the extended. <laughs> do not watch the extended version. I Please, please don't. Just don't do it. Um, but yes, uh, that was great. But um, where can people find you on social media and all that other
2: stuff? Starting to emerge from my cave, yeah. So still mostly Twitter, despite everything that's going on with that app at the moment. But you're trying to persuade me to move into Instagram as well, so we'll see. But what I think I would I need to do is start an official Back to the Filmography Instagram, rather than doing it through I'm Jax Musings, but my kind of catch-all media handle is I am Jax Musings. J A C S. If you just search for that, it tends to find me where I post my random thoughts on WordPress and my reviews on Letterbox. Or oh yeah, I, I think I'm the only. I don't know if there's anyone else out there that is I am Jax Musings, but if they are, I think I'm. I've managed to brand myself enough that I, you can find me quite easily.
1: Same with me. I'm. I'm if you'd now type in Spider Dan on Google, I'm one of the top. That's great, which are, as you um, should be. As I should be, as I should be. The real superhero in the podcasting world. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, you can do the same with me. You can uh, you can search Spider Dan on Google. The website will come up and uh, links uh, to Derek and everything will be in the show notes and his music. Uh, his track is coming out on the 26th of May, mm. 26th of May, so I'm hoping this will be out just a little bit before then. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what how it works out, how it I I might, maybe I'll release it early just to make sure it coincides. Um, But yes, um, yeah, go and find me there. Um, Also, uh, I'd like to uh, say um, please subscribe to the Pop Culture Collective newsletter to find out what myself, Comics Emotion, and all the other related podcasts are up to week by week. Um, I'll leave that in the show notes as well. Including this guy now. Yes including Jack. Jack's on there. So so if you want to keep up with the Back to the Filmography and what's happening with it, you've got to subscribe to the newsletter. So do it, do it now. Um, review, like, share, comment, subscribe. And don't forget to use the hashtag Prepare for Prattle when you interact with me or anybody else. Just use it all the time. Every tweet, (laughs) every tweet, every post, whenever you want, whenever you want. Just throw it out there. Throw it in there. Uh, But, yes, I'd like to thank my patrons on Patreon, including I'm Jack's Musings. Thank you very much. Uh, Simon Cotton, Paul Meller, Max Byrne, Tony Farina, uh, Mike Burton, Angry Andy, Tonya Todd, and Math has joined us nice so um i forgot to write that in my notes but i just remembered at the last minute i, I love you math thank you very much now i'm going to have to do extra content for him as well which i'm not already doing so uh <laughs> thank you guys for suffering <laughs> but uh, i've got a, i've got a shaft uh, review coming out very soon uh, probably will already been out uh, the origin story to to john shaft bad motherfucker complicated man that's what the comics called a complicated man so that will come out very shortly i'll probably do that tomorrow night so whenever that is in in the world time travel <laughs> buy me wibbly wobbly stuff but jack thank you so much for doing this it was a really interesting discussion and two very very interesting films
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and keep introducing me to these wonderful movies. I will. There's
1: some weird stuff coming up. Don't you worry. Mm. Weird, wacky, and wonderful. Um, Never boring, though. Never boring. Never boring. Never secretly boring. Uh, There you are. There you are. Thank you again. Thank you, everybody. You've been a blast. And next week, you'll get something that's not a clone, Bores. I promise. Bit of variety. (laughs) Bit of variety. Promise. But they are good. I do enjoy them. All right. See you later, guys. Then, Bye. This is the artist currently trading as Derek Esoteric. I just want to let you and your listeners know about a tune that I'm going to be releasing on the 26th of May. The track's called Teddy, Teddy Bears' Picnic. I've loaded and of course features you along with many of your guests and some of the wise words they've imparted on various episodes of your podcast it does come with a parental advisory warning so to all you spider-lam fans if you are offended by words such as fuck penis spanking venga uh, or boys then you probably won't give this one a miss otherwise please
2: have a listen on spotify or wherever you get your music from and to prepare for some musical practice.